Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, December the 9th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Speaking of Pamplico, I want to mention, make sure I get this in. I want to get it in multiple times today. Uh, my fine folk from back home said, uh, you ain't doing us right by this. So the Pamplico Christmas Parade, I mean, um, I would imagine it's standing room only, as it always is. What are you smiling about, Ray? Good morning, uh, sir. Just, uh, good morning. Good morning, Friol. Any guitar commentary? <laughs> okay, good deal. Good deal. That's fun. Um, so, so the Pamplico Christmas Parade. Um, I mean, a lot of people mistake it for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, I and that. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, tomorrow morning at eleven a.m. I mean, the, the traffic will be horrendous, but it'll be worth it. I'll assure you of that. So, the Pamplico Christmas Parade. I'll remind you a couple of other times during the show. Eleven o'clock tomorrow morning okay, get, there, um, get there and get your spaces early you better get your spaces real early because if you think the macy's thanksgiving parade in new york city is a big deal you ain't seen nothing <laughs> um yet and but while we're doing some quick promotion of things this morning i'll mention that tomorrow on the radio we are doing something special and if you remember about this time last year and the year before this is our what's called the christmas saves event it's a community broadcaster's effort um, across all of the community broadcasters radio stations in South Carolina and all the markets that we're in now. So we're going to be all up and down your radio dial with Christmas saves deals. So we'll have a website with product information, some some great items and services provided by our great local advertisers and all of our markets. And these items will be offered at at least 50% off their regular price and you can purchase them. It's a great Christmas shopping day. So if you'll Anywhere near a radio tomorrow in any one of these areas where the community broadcaster stations broadcast, then tune in, and, and we'll be talking about the items on the air and give you a chance to call in and make that purchase. That's 10 to 3 tomorrow on your favorite community broadcaster's radio Man, station. there's some cool gift ideas. Oh, yeah. There really is. There's some cool gifts that um, we sponsor. Our sponsors and, and we partner together and, um, and offer these opportunities to our listeners, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I don't have a lot of sports to talk about. Well, I was going to ask you something about sports. I, I didn't even know if you had sports because there's a lot of stuff going on with Twitter and and uh, John Dicker knows nothing about that. Well, isn't that something? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> isn't that something? I've concluded something, but we'll get to that in just a few moments. Okay, all right. Just just a, just a quick sports thing because I I don't I watch, want to do a quick sports thing. I mean, it normally takes me a long time to do a right. quick sports thing, but. And speaking of Twitter, but this is where I usually get most of my uh, sports information <laughs> these days. You know, everything from the uh, South Carolina OC search or whatever. But all of the players going into that portal. I mean, what what do you make of this? Is is this a good thing? Bad thing? How's I mean, it going to work out? You know, it's typical um, when people feel like they've been um, treated unfairly, and they want to be treated fairly. They want it all. You know what I mean? Um, it was real complicated to transfer from one school to another. You had to sit out, and I mean, it's just the NCAA made. I mean, the NCAA was not player friendly. I mean, it simply was not. The universities made it player friendly by under the table money and all these other um, amenities that no. they offered the student athlete. Really? Um, and now the majority of this is above board. It's above the table. They're construct. You know, kind of a. Um, there's a legal construct now of which kids can transfer to one, from one university to another. They don't have to sit out, wait, be penalized or punished. Yet they can get paid. You know, they can put themselves on the marketplace. But I mean, it, to me, it's a representation, or really, it's, it's, it's a representation and a manifestation. It's a manifestation of the NCAA refusing to give an inch, and kids were beholden to the way the NCAA chose to rule college football. 
all of a sudden that changes and it becomes a um, kind of a free-for-all, the wild, wild west, so to speak. And I think the number of kids that you see in the transfer portal is a representation of the unwinding of the manifestation. Does that make sense? In other words, it was and now it is. And because it is, we, we felt we didn't have any uh, abilities. Now we got all the abilities in the world. So everybody's going to put themselves in the marketplace. I mean, you may be somewhat happy at Clemson or South Carolina, but you believe you could be happier at Georgia Tech or Georgia and when you or say Notre happier, Dame. You mean get a better deal? Well, we get a better deal, sure. I mean, more playing time. Um, you know, maybe a little more money if you're a highly you know skilled um, college athlete. But but I, I just think in general, and I'm talking about conceptually, it it was a certain way that the players had very little liberties and freedoms. Now it's where they kind of got all the liberties and freedoms. And they're taking advantage of that. I think we'll find, I mean, it goes back to what my father told me many, many, many times. We'll have floods. We'll have droughts. Sooner or later, the water settles where the water is intended to settle. So we went from having, to me, a um, kind of the heavy hand of the NCAA calling all the shots. They, uh, the, the, the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, the EA Sports lawsuit, allows the kids to do a lot of things they formerly couldn't do. And you would expect them to take advantage of every one of those. And I think we've got too many kids in the transfer portal. Some of these kids will not end up landing anywhere. They'll, they'll be working at um, menial jobs this time next year when they probably should have stayed where they were. But that's just the hardship. But that, that's the lessons learned when you have this um, kind of an evolution from the way things were conducted to the way things are conducted. Here's the biggest deal in college football today. And I think Clemson and South Carolina need to pay close attention. I mean, not to what I say, because I, you know, nobody cares what I say. But, but the notion of, I mean, the transfer portal is across the board, right? I mean, the kid, you can't stop the kid from, uh, from transferring. I mean, you can intent, uh, entice him to not transfer. You know where I'm headed. I mean, there, there are a multitude of ways you can say, hey, I, I hear you're thinking about transferring. Here's, here's, what, here's what we're willing to do to make you reconsider whether or not that makes sense or not. I mean, that's all above board now. But here's what I think the most important thing that college football programs will or will not do in the next 12 to 24 months. I think some will understand that the NIL is not a subscription. I mean, I see where some of these universities are running websites, and they you know, they believe a win over Tennessee will um, motivate thousands of people to give you know, X number of dollars in the name of making the football program more competitive and better. And I think some will believe that is the way to do it. Some will believe um, that, that if, you, if you build a, a social media site or a, or a website, and you make it user-friendly, and you win a game against Tennessee, you win a game against um, Clemson, then your fan bases will be so self-motivated, they'll look you up. They'll find where you are because they believe that given, you know, 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000, I mean, people have different abilities. I just don't buy that. I think it, I mean, the three words I use, alignment, organizational, and structure. And I think the teams that understand that the NIL is a, I mean, it's basically a, an ability to pay a football player a salary. And, you know, the market will dictate what Spencer Rattler's worth or um, Shipley's worth at Clemson or, you know, um, Cade Klubnick, the new quarterback at Clemson. I mean, I can't decide that. The market will dictate and the Clemson will decide whether that kid is worth that investment or if George is willing to pay more. But there are going to be some schools that believe you can just kind of, um, you, you, can, you can halfway commit yourself to the NIL system and, and start a website or two or three and um, and run an advertisement or two or three on social media and the money just, you know, manna from heaven shows up at your, at your doorsteps. No, I believe it's going to take 
Um, and I go to these three words, an alignment, an organization, and a structure that you have active fundraisers, prolific fundraisers. I can see this, Reb. I can see in the next 12 months people leaving the political fundraising world to go to work at NILs. Oh, really? I mean, I can imagine. I mean, hypothetically, Georgia Tech announces they've just hired the guy that was uh, the Georgia Republican Party's chief fundraiser. I mean, I, I just think that's where we're headed. You think there's going to be a lot of money? No question about saying. it. It's going to have to be. I mean, the Ole Miss just announced they've raised $13 million. Now, they don't think they'll do that every year, but their goal is $10 million. I mean, we know Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M and Texas have an, kind of an unfair advantage. Up come the ground, come a bubbling crude. I mean, they, you know, oil, oh, that is Texas tea. I mean, they, they've got a big advantage over the majority of um Your early Clemson. morning Beverly Hillbillies Well, I mean, well, I mean I'm serious. I mean, up through the ground, come a bubbling crude. Um, well, I mean, A&M has a lot of resources. I'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. Texas has a lot of resources. So if South Carolina Clemson believe they're going to keep up with Texas and Texas A&M, I mean, we'll spend every dollar in the state, you know what I mean, trying to fund the two programs is Texas and A&M and A&M will. But, but I just believe that these two programs, and I'm talking about Gamecocks and Tigers in particular, and I'm not suggesting that they're equal to one another. I mean, the Gamecocks are on a hot streak. They beat Tennessee. They beat Clemson. Uh, both were upsets. That's only a hot streak. There's nothing else there. I mean, that is a hot streak. It could lead to something or it could not. But I think the one thing these two, two, uh, two schools have to consider and contemplate is how to administer their name, image, and likeness program. And and whether you like it or not, I mean, we said it before and I'll say it again. Um, it doesn't matter what you think of the transfer portal. I think that settles down at some point in time. I mean, I think you'll see an ebb and flow in the transfer portal. You went from hardly any kid transferring to nearly everybody looking around to see if it's worth transferring. I think we'll see a, um, a pullback of the number of kids in the next two or three years that want to transfer. They'll find out the great the grass is not always greener on the other side, but they're kids. I mean, the grass is always greener on the other side when you're a kid, right? I mean, what what is a kid? Irrational, impractical, irresponsible? I mean, by and large, in general, most kids are that. So so they're going to always be looking for a better opportunity. They don't like the position coach. They don't think he treated them fairly. They think the guy at Georgia Tech or the guy at um, Nebraska is going to be better to deal with. And And you'll see a lot of that work itself out. But the NIL is still what I think is the biggest deal. And once again, I think there'll be an announcement in the next year where um, LSU has hired um, Senator Kennedy's chief fundraiser away from the political world, and uh, and now he is um, responsible for raising whatever LSU's goal is annually to make sure when they recruit a five-star against an Alabama, against a Clemson, against a Florida, against a South Carolina, they've got adequate funds to make a deal. Because that's where we are. And once again, like it or not, that's the new reality of college football. And I do believe this. But I'm a little bit optimistic of South Carolina because I think Shane understands that. Shane Beamer has never coached as a head football coach where there wasn't an NIL and a transfer portal. Dabo Sweeney has built a program, an elite program, an extremely successful program Without the NIL. Doing it the old fashioned way. Do it the way we, we're accustomed to it yeah. being done. But the culture, family, commitment, organization, structure, I mean, all these things that mm-hmm. mattered so much are now, I mean, they just don't matter as much. They just simply do not. Loyalty, commitment, culture, family, I mean, they still matter, but they've been dramatically watered down by the transfer portal and NIL. And I think the Gamecocks have one advantage 
and that their coach has not built a program under the previous requisites or the previous system. And, and, and you know, Dabo built a hell of a program, but, but his program has to adjust. I mean, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what, and Dabo's plenty smart. I mean, I'll assure you of that. What he says publicly, but I, I get what he says publicly. You know, he said publicly he doesn't like either one of them. But, but behind the scenes, uh, you can rest assured he's not crazy and says, well, I'm just throwing my hands up. I'm not, I mean, I'm sure they're behind the scenes working on uh, the new realities that are heading their way. Let's go to the phone. Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Hey, guys. So I just – I watched an article yesterday by Joe Klatt, his uh, website. He's, he's one of the college football guys for Fox. And he was talking about the same thing. Um, now, I'm from Michigan. I know they spent about the last year and a half – they got behind on the – the mill as well. They spent about the last year and a half putting in a whole new department, new building, new everything. Um, but what he was talking about, what, what, what doesn't get publicized much is really uh, 1,100 people hit the portal last year or last month, last week uh, to, to transfer. Well, there's only room for about 900 of them. Uh, and, and what's happened the last couple of years with the transfer portal is there's been a certain amount of guys, they say like 15 to 20%, that, you know, as soon as you hit the portal, you've given up your scholarship. And if another school doesn't pick you up, then you're just out. And so that's one of the things he was talking about that need to be addressed. Um, if you don't mind me going here for just a minute, the whole Brittany Griner thing. Um, and, and, and I did not want that lady to have to stay over there in that jail. Uh, my My... my one of my biggest issues is the guy that they left, the Marine. Okay, so you've got a, 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 a woman basketball player who happens to be homosexual, and we're going to trade her for, what did they call him, the merchant of death? And we're going to leave a patriot in jail over there? I, I don't get it. And, and especially considering the fact that, I don't believe for a minute that she forgot that she had her hash oil in her luggage. She thought she could get away with it because of who she is. That's my belief. She said, I'm better than this. I don't have to follow the law. And so we did another Bo Bergdahl deal where we set people who hate Americans for, and we trade them for really, we got snookered again. I just, I don't understand how we could leave that Marine in jail over there when this woman, she did what she did because she wanted to, and she had to pay the consequences. Now, do I think that she deserved to get nine years for the little bit of hash? No, absolutely not. But you tried to smuggle hash oil into Russia. You get what you get. You guys have a good weekend. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate that. Victor Bouts, the person Dale's talking about, that's the um, the arms dealer, the arms trafficker the that is basically yeah, the merchant of death. Um, I mean, it, it's to me, it's reprehensible. I, I'll, I'll read my Facebook post. I mean, I did it late yesterday afternoon, or really in the evening. I'm happy he slash she is at it home. I love America. She's an American. He's an American. I mean, I'm not sure if it's a he or a she, but anyway, we, we're celebrating um, that. So, so I'm going to read it verbatim. I'm happy he or she is headed home. I love America. But when the diversity score and wokeness outweigh service to country and patriotism, we've lost our way. Our government is becoming ungovernable, motivated by partisanship, 
even when involving our citizens in prisons and foreign adversaries, makes me angry and sad. It makes me real angry, but it makes me sad as well. Bring our damn Marine home, Mr. President, some way, somehow. I mean, that's what happened, guys. They, they have a diversity score and a wokeness criteria. And Brittany Griner fit into the, I mean, her diversity score was much higher than um, Marine Willen. And her wokeness score was much higher than her political expediency advantage was much higher. And I'm telling you guys, when partisanship makes its way into who we identify as a priority to get out of a foreign prison and a, and a, and a WNBA basketball player who may or may not be a woman, I don't know. I mean, it's because there's a fair debate to be had um, there. Um, when that person is a priority over someone who served our nation, service to country and patriotism should never go out of style, but it has. Service to country and patriotism has been replaced by diversity scores and wokeness, and this country must demand more of its leaders. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make Fridays. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, you are on. You have kids. We haven't even heard about a, a gay female minority basketball player. I mean, we until a gay female minority basketball player got arrested for pot Russia. Nobody had even heard about this Marine. I hadn't. Maybe I had forgotten about it or whatever, but the point is our politicians didn't give a rat's behind about it. You know, I mean, none of this surprises me. Who do you think Russia would have uh, negotiated for if, if, if the shoes were on, if, if the tables were turned? You know, I mean, I saw a funny thing that Del Chapo's in Mexico right now hoping that maybe they, they arrest another, another basketball player in Mexico and they can get a trade or whatever. But anyway, you know, the, I've, I've been thinking since COVID, I become more and more angry at the Republican politicians than ever before, and I just don't know what to do about them. I mean, you know, and and even Trump, in a way, I mean, they 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 allowed all of this to happen. Again, I go back to either they were incompetent, or you know, and if you go all the way back, the Republicans had control of everything under Trump, and look what they did. And then look what the Democrats did when they had control of everything. Look at the difference. When Trump got elected, we had a Republican Senate, a Republican House, and a Republican president. Look what they did. And then you look what the Democrats have been able to do in a two-year period when they had control. Total devastation. What did we get done? Not a damn thing, hardly. They did a few little trinkets here and there, but at the end of the day, they didn't do a damn thing. It was pathetic. And now I'm sitting there looking at what they're doing now, and it's the same dang old thing. And then we got these guys in our in our old party that won't vote for Herschel Walker because they don't like Donald Trump. And we've always voted for their sorry piece of dog mess that they send us every year. But I mean, we voted for Romney. We held our nose and voted for McCain. We did all of that. But they won't. They're, they're, the Republicans on our side of the aisle that are like that are as bad or worse than your AOCs and your Nancy Pelosi's and all those nuts on the Democrat side. And I don't know what the heck to do with it because we can't seem to vote them out because they come back every year. We get Lindsey Graham for 30 daggone years. But, I mean, I am just sick and tired of the Republican Party. You might be right. Trump may need to run as a third-party candidate and blow the whole dang thing up. And then, because 
if they if the Republicans could could destroy us, then we about ought to destroy them too, and, and just let the dag on. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just really fed up with them. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate. It. Well, I mean, play this scenario out with me for a second. Remember yesterday and the day before we talked about what if what if Trump ran as a third party candidate and got 32 percent of the vote? I mean, that's about where he'd be. 32 percent of the vote. Let's play out another scenario. Let's say that Trump and DeSantis go at one another. I mean, there's a new poll out now that has DeSantis at 47%, Republican primary voters, Trump at 42%. I mean, that's the first national poll I've seen with DeSantis leading Trump. That's a long way out. I mean, there are a lot of things that can happen between now and then. We don't even know if DeSantis wants to run. But stick with me for a second. Let's say DeSantis and Trump battle each other in a Republican primary. Trump is the quintessential America firster. DeSantis is an America firster, but but he's not as um he's not as much of a firebrand as um as Trump is. Let's say that we have a hotly contested, hardly fought Republican primary between Trump and DeSantis, and DeSantis is left standing. He's the guy that wins the primary. Um, a lot of um, more moderate Republican voters find him to be acceptable. What does the Trump voter do then? Breeze is making the point I've tried to make. The, the, the Trump voter, I mean, the, we didn't know we were Trump voters until Trump came along. We knew we were angry, frustrated, bothered. We got the, um, the uniparty. We understood. I mean, and I think Breeze, I mean, it really and truly, the, the inarticulation of Breeze's point is the best articulation. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, there's a helplessness that all of us feel in this America first versus Washington first. And the reason Republicans vote the way they do is Washington first is more advantageous for their political lives than America first. That's really where the line of demarcation is. It's not R&D. It's not conservative liberal. There's an America first movement that believes politicians should go to Washington, not prioritize the values and views and, and perspectives of that city, but rather America. What is good for the American people? Washington first is the mindset that kind of um, takes over. And I've talked to Russell about this, Russell Fry who's going to Congress, I said, Russell, you better be careful now because these people that put you where you are don't care for that Washington first mentality. But Washington first is going to try to intimidate you, confuse you, um, entice you with a lot of different opportunities. And if you're not careful, your, your, your systematic beliefs will be watered down. You'll give the end of the machine. And that's Washington first. So, so when Breeze says, I don't know how to articulate myself as to how I feel, to me, it's the perfect articulation. It is inarticulate. It doesn't make sense what Bree says. I don't know what to do. We always know what to do, but we don't because it is quite the conflicted and, and, um, and confusing situation we find ourselves in. But, but let's do this. Let's play out a DeSantis-Trump primary, and, and DeSantis wins. Is the Trump voter going back to vote for DeSantis, or are they going to be angry that he challenged the America for he didn't respect Trump and the America First movement enough. See, we, we, that's the conundrum. And until Republicans decide that we're going to be an America First party, and we've not decided that. I mean, we, the voters by a two-to-one margin, have. But the office holders, I got a buddy. I've, I've called his name, Mark Pilot. He doesn't mind me saying that. Mark is a chief of staff for a member of Congress, Ralph Norman. I'll ask Mark. Mark, how many... How many real America First politicians are there? And he'll say 20%, maybe 25%. I said, how many people outside of office holders in the nation's capital have any tolerance for America First? 
2 or 3%. Of the 98% of people who make our government go don't have any interest in America first. Their only interest in America first is to kill it, to destroy it, to stop it be, from becoming the, the, um, the voice of the American people, so to speak. So that's kind of sort of where we fire, find ourselves, and it is a macro. And I'll say this. If Trump runs as a third-party candidate, I'm voting for him. I mean, I'm willing to give the Democrat the keys to the liquor cabinet for four, eight, 12 more years because I'm tired of voting for a party that tells me something and chooses to do something else. Democrats don't say, send me to Washington and I'll cut taxes. Send me to Washington and I'll represent your freedoms and liberties. Send me to Washington and I'll downscale government. Send me to Washington and I'll um, improve education and I'll uh, put power, put on parents in charge. I mean, the Democrats don't tell their constituents any of that. You know what the Democrats' candidates do? Send me to Washington so I can level the playing field. Send me to Washington so I can execute policy that allows you to not be left behind. The Democrats, conservatism, I mean, we're the ones being led to the trough where there's, there's no food, right? So why would we continue to do that? Why would we vote for a Washington first Republican and not an America firster who may not have a chance to win or not? I think the articulation is inarticulate, but it's the best articulation. Let's go to the phone. Rujan, good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey guys. Uh, this is the stuff of revolution. This is the stuff that creates revolution. Uh, when, 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 the, when the populace gets to a point where the populace is frustrated, uh, things happen. Different things happen. And, 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 and small voices get louder and louder and louder, and they're not going to take it anymore. It's like, guys, I'm, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not taking it anymore. And that's what's happening now. Um, and when I saw that they were bringing uh, Brittany Griner home and not Paul Whelan, uh, that, 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 really, that really pissed me off because I'm looking at a Marine who's been in prison for four years on charges of espionage, um, and they brought home an LGBTQ uh, black female WMA basketball player, someone who kneels at, you know, the national anthem, even refuses to come out to hear the playing of the national anthem. Um, that, that, that's just unacceptable. And, you know, I, listen, I'll respect the office of the president and their administration, but I do not respect those people anymore. Not even, not even a, just a, a, an ounce of respect. I, I think they're opportunists. I think that they are, they're, they did this for, as a political stunt to appease, uh, you know, that their constituency, their, their community, uh, you know, uh, whatever her name is, the, 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 the press secretary was just beaming with, with this. She was so ecstatic that they're bringing her home. And nobody's talking about Paul Whelan. That pissed me off. Thank you, Ruth. John. appreciate that. Well, I mean, and the, and the point is, we've, we've entered a realm. I mean, we're in a nation today. You don't like it. I don't like it. I mean, some do. I mean, there are a couple of people listening to me now that are okay with this. We're diversity scores and, and you know, um, how sympathetic you are to wokeness and political correctness are more important than some of the virtues that I hold near and dear to my heart, and that is service to country. I mean, I'm telling you guys, if there is a, I mean, if we're going to let Victor Bout, I mean, if we're going to do a prisoner swap, and they want the, the merchant of death, they want a guy who's been um, aiding terrorist organizations, um, and, and weapons trading and selling, I mean, uh, uh, he's a notorious criminal. I mean, he just is. He is a notorious criminal who's earned the moniker Merchant of Death. 
I mean, if we're going to negotiate his release, and I've got a decision to make. There's a guy who's patriotic, served his country, member of the military, been over there four years, trumped up charges of espionage, or a, you know, man, woman, basketball player who puts a lot of checks in the box on diversity. I'm, it's a no-brainer to me. Get the Marine out of there. I mean, I want Griner home. I, mean, I don't take any joy in watching that lady. I mean, she can kneel for the national anthem every single time. She's still an American citizen. And I want to bring every American in a Russian jail home. But, but, but when I begin to prioritize, if I'm the American president, I mean, that's an easy call for me. I mean, that's a very easy call for me. But if you sold your soul to wokeness and political correctness and diversity, I mean, it's an easy call for you. And that's what the Democrats have done. Patriotism or diversity, diversity wins. Wokeness or service to country, wokeness wins. That is a reality of our president and his administration. They don't look at patriotism like you and I do. They don't look at service to country like you and I do. They celebrate this diversity, wokeness, and these scores. I mean, it's like ESG scores with the private sector. I mean, what is Brittany Griner's, um, you know, woke score or diverse score uh, compared to Paul Whelan, who served the country and is extremely patriotic? Well, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Who's home and who ain't? Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Yeah, you were right earlier when you said the Democrats give their people what they want. The Republican establishment has never liked their constituents. I mean, you just what what's the two main things Republicans want? I mean, con, you know, conservative Republicans. Slower spending and immigration, and every time we give them the majority, which we did in 2010, they do nothing with it. So we say, "Well, the hell with you." In 2016, we we came back, and they put Paul Ryan in. He did some good things, but they kept spending like drunken sailors. You know, and, and the American people are getting fed up with it because they're not. The Democrats want a dictator. They want to be told what time to get up, what to eat, where to go, how to spend your money, who to see as a, a doctor, you know, what to do every waking minute of their life. They want a tyrant dictator. Republicans like freedom. And like, you know, I, I had, an, I guess, an epiphany when I saw you at the uh, rivals and you said, you think that the world should be something. No, you want the world to work like the world should. And, and, right. that, and, and I, I'm in the boat with you, Joe. I mean, I believe with all my heart that there's a certain world, a certain way the world has to progress. I know it doesn't all go my way, but there's certain, certain fundamentals that we've got to anchor our existence in. And, and, I, and I'm deeply concerned about giving up on those tried and truisms in favor of fads and, and, and trends. And, and I, you can't, I mean, if you sell your soul to fads and trends and give up on the true anchors that have been incredibly beneficial for civilization, we'll get exactly what we deserve. Right, but what's going on in college right now is exactly my point. You know, we're going to have a national championship between 12 teams, and people better get ready for it. You're going to have a team with four losses, maybe, five losses, 
winning the national championship. And I guess we're going to have to be okay with that. You know, because colleges, the cost of tuition went up so much because of what? Because they added all these amenities, you know, lazy rivers and climbing walls and, you know, all this extra stuff that has nothing to do with education. And they kept saying, oh, this is a wonderful place to go to, not thinking anything about educating people. And and we've done it to ourselves because, oh, I want my child to have it better than me. Why? They're not going to learn the responsibilities and failures of life if you hand them everything. So we've created this monster to where there's there's no God, there's no rules, there's no, you know, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Why are you in a communist, dictated country to start with? You know, if you want to go there and you hate this country and you get locked up for carrying drugs against their laws, which they enforce, and then you call this country a pile of dog crap, you expect us to come get you right away. And that's what the Democrats promise. They will, and they do. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. So in 2018, Twitter posted in the official account of, kind of interesting, the Twitter account of Twitter, um, said people are asking us if we shadow ban. We don't. Reading more to get all the facts, cards.twitter.com. Uh, backslash cards. Anyway, they've got this, um, this I don't know, this site you can visit that explains why they don't shadow ban. Did that in 2018 and again in 2019. Um, what does Lee Corso says? Uh, not so fast. So Barry Weiss gets the, I, don't, I didn't see anything from Matt Taibbi. I mean, everything was from Weiss yesterday. The, um, I guess the Twitter files part two, some of the, uh, some of the drop that Twitter, and remember we had a bit of a hiccup because we found out James Baker was legal counsel or general counsel at Twitter and was being reluctant in, you know, handing over some of the, I don't want to say incriminating information. I don't think it's that. Misleading information, dishonest information. You know, whether or not Twitter broke the law, we'll find out. I mean, I think eventually we'll find out, you know, what sort of um, ethics or, I mean, they lied. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the leadership team at Twitter lied about not shadow banning. That's the biggest revelation from yesterday. Now, we can go down the road, and I think it's a very complicated storyline when you start talking about VF. What is VF? I mean, the, the two abbreviations, I mean, the initials VF are in Barry Weiss's, excuse me, in some of the drop um, 40 or 50 times. I mean, she didn't report on this, but if you read it verbatim, VF. You ready? Mm-hmm. Visibility filtering. What is CD? It's not a certificate of deposit in their <laughs> world. What is a CD? Content deamplification. Oh, I thought it was a compact disc. Yeah. So um, CD is not a um, certificate of deposit nor a compact disc. It is instead content deamplification. Hmm. So when you look at, um, I mean, when we say shadow ban, when we say, um, you know, suppressing, they're saying visibility filtering and content deamplification. Those are some of the, um, I guess, the internal speak. I mean, that's the lingo of tech world, I guess. I mean, I don't know. That's, I mean, I don't work at Twitter. Don't know anybody that works at, at Twitter. I know the guy that owns it now um, from afar, not obviously not from, from up close. 
But um, but Barry Weiss released yesterday um, a new Twitter files investigation reveals that terms of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. Now, Twitter would say that they had a right to do that. And I want to give an example because the most interesting um, suppressant, if that's the right word, is um, is what they did to Dr. Uh, what's his name? Dr. J. Um, Bhattacharya. He is a Stanford School of Medicine professor. He is a infectious disease expert. He is a health economics expert. I mean, he's the guy that you probably need to listen to when you start talking about, you know, whether or not the vaccine is, uh, is, is effective, whether or not the lockdowns harm children. But Stanford's um, Dr. J. Bhattacharya um, was one of the first voices in the expert community that said COVID lockdowns will harm children. Twitter began um, basically diminishing his voice or his tweets on, and he noticed it. I mean, he's not the kind of guy that you and I are of. I mean, he's more dignified and decorated. Um, but he, um, I mean, they, he got placed on this trends blacklist, which re- I mean, really prevented his trend his tweets from from trending. Um, once again, he's a professor at the Stanford School of Medicine with a um, kind of a specialty in infectious disease and health economics. So um, Twitter said that, you know, they don't think enough of his opinion, Mm. despite being a Harvard, um, excuse me, a Stanford uh, medical professor and, you know, as accomplished and decorated as he is. So let's go down this road for a second, because I think this is kind of interesting. Um, I went back and read some of the um, summarizing of 230, the Communications Decency Act and Section 230 of that Decency Act, and I was texting with a lawyer friend of mine, actually screenshot two or three times, and he's kind of in this world. I mean, he, he knows how to legally argue some of the things that I can do in, in Pamplicoenian or good old boy or good old boy fashion. But um, so you got visibility filtering, you've got content deamplification, um, you've got them exercising editorial control, you've got um, you've got Section 230, the Communications Decency Act. All this is in play. Here's the best way I can explain it and the way I think we can understand it. I think Twitter violated Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. I think Twitter has a right to editorialize content. I mean, I really and truly believe that. Give an example. Um, I don't think I should be allowed, and I think they've got cover when, when someone goes on Twitter and says, I think someone should kill former President Trump. I think someone should kill current President Biden. I mean, I think they've got the authority in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to, to, um, to ban that, to censor that, to prohibit that from making its way on their, uh, on their platform. But what they chose to do, Rev, is interpret, and, and once again, visibility filtering, content deamplification, a lot, lot of lingo here. But what they chose to do is treat the tweet, I think someone should investigate President Biden. That's not hate speech. But that's not threatening language. But what they did, and that's that's a pretty simple example, but that's why I'm using it. So so I think Twitter, and my interpretation of statute, or excuse me, the uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, I think Twitter has a right to editorialize or to censor editorializing. I think, but what they don't have the right to do is, and I made a note here because this is my interpretation, they don't have a right to promote one view over another. I think you treat them equally. I think if somebody decided to tweet, I think someone should kill President Biden. 
I think they have every right to censor that. But that's some of the content moderation. That's some of the hate speech provisions. I think just as equally they have a right or they they should censor anybody who says, I think we should kill President Trump. But that, though, it doesn't matter if they're equal or not. But that's hate speech. That's threatening. But that's, that's threatening violence or, or committing a crime. That's publicly saying I or someone needs to commit a, a felony. And I think Twitter, my interpretation, Communications Decency Act, Section 230, they have a right. But what they did, Rev, is they showed um, they showed a preference to one opinion over another. And that's when I think they're in violation of the Communications Decency Act. Um, I think we should investigate the Biden crime family. That got suppressed. That was dealing with um, visibility filtering and content deamplification. If someone said, I think we should investigate the Trump family, that none of that applied. Once again, I think they were fair. I think they did a good job in suppressing, um, you know, hate speech, um, acts of violence or encouraging acts of violence, both Republican and Democrat. I think they have an obligation to do that. But, but I don't think, I think they're in violation of statute, uh, of the statute, and I'm talking about Section 230, and the language I interpreted and my lawyer friend said, no, nah, you're right there. I mean, that, that's a pretty good example. Um, we should, if, if you believe, as, 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 as a subscriber to Twitter, that President Biden should be investigated. I mean, you should not have to deal with visibility filtering. You should not have to deal with content deamplification. You should, I mean, that should be treated just as if you tweeted, I think we should investigate President Trump. So that's my take on what we read. Um, and once again, it's, it's real confusing. I'm trying to break it down probably simpler than it deserves to be broken down. But, but none of us are Twitter experts. None of us work in Silicon Valley. I mean, VF to me is Vanity Fair. <laughs> you know, it's not visibility filtering. CDs are certificate of deposit or a compact disc. But no, in, you know, in San Francisco, it's content deamplification. And what Twitter did is their leadership team got together and they basically created formulas or algorithms that suppress the voice of conservatives. Charlie Kirk is another guy that's on the list. Dan Bongino, our 12 o'clock, um, our 12.05 host. On Talk Radio 95.3. I mean, he's, he was um, shadow banned. He was um, dealing with visibility filtering and content deamplification. So, and, and I want to add this caveat, if you'll allow. I don't know this to be true, but I give opinions for four hours on the radio. I know for a fact now that they treated voices differently. Conservative voices dealt um, much more with visibility filtering content deamplification than liberal voices. We know that. I mean, there's no denying that now. Now, now we can say, was was Baker behind it? Was, you know, Dorsey behind it? Was Gaudet behind it? I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that. I mean, I think collectively they agreed that, hey, man, we're San Francisco liberals. We're not ashamed of it. We, we've got this huge, uh, we, we've got this baby of a company that's blossomed into the digital town square. We're going to run it as we see fit. But you, you can run it as you see fit until you become in violation of the Communications Decency Act, Section 230. And I think, once again, when, when, they, when they editorialized in preference of one opinion over another, they are in violation of Section 230. And they do it in secret and don't let you know they're Correct doing it. Correct about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's no question about it. And deny that they're doing it. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at these squiggly lines that I've looked at, and it's a daily report. That's probably a, a every-other-day report. But it's got the number of conservative voices who have seen their followers increase by over 50,000 and the number of um, liberal voices who tweet a lot, who have seen their um, increases less than 50,000. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's obvious what was going on. 
I mean, conservative voices were being deamplified. Conservative voices were being filtered without question. Now, I'm not saying every conservative. I'm not saying every liberal. But, but in general, the, the content moderators were deciding to apply certain standards to conservative voices that they were not applying to liberal voices. Here's the point I want to make, and here's my takeaway. So, so we finally get a behind-the-scenes look at a quote-unquote media organization. Now, now, we can debate whether Twitter's a media organization, but, but it's a powerful company. I mean, it, 250 million active subscribers. I mean, $5 billion in annual ad revenue. I mean, it's a big company, and, and they, they matter a lot in public discourse. We now know because a free speech absolutist decides to buy it and basically reveals some of the behind-the-scenes secrets from 2018, 2019, 2017, and Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi are reporting on this in the best way they know how. And they're still going over a lot of these tweets and information, internal communications, and, and we'll know more as the, as the day and week goes on. But, but the point I want us to kind of understand and contemplate, I believe that this is every news agency in America. I mean, I think CNN does exactly. I think if Elon Musk bought CNN, we'd find out exactly the same thing. If Elon Musk bought NBC News, we'd find out exactly the same thing. If Elon Musk bought Google, we'd find out exactly the same thing. It's where we are in America today. One side of our political spectrum don't want to win the debate. They want to disallow the debate. And that's scary, guys. I mean, I, I just, for the life of me, I mean, when I get angry, that's what I get most angry about. If you whip me in a debate, congratulations. I mean, if your ideas are better than my ideas, your, your agenda is better than my agenda, the American public believe in you more than they believe in me because you've proven your worth, you've outworked me, you've outprepared me, you've outsmarted me, you've outwitted me, you've, um, you've got a better agenda, you've got better ideas. I'm good with that. I don't like it, but I can live with it. I can't live with the fact that they won't allow the debate. That should piss all of us off to the degree that that's where we are as Americans. And once again, if there were 10 Elon Musk with with hundreds of billions of dollars and they chose to do the same thing he did at Twitter at NBC News or ABC News or CBS News, we find out exactly the same thing. And, and, And the day we as Americans allow the normalization of a lack of debate is the day our democracy really and truly begins to die. And you hide behind monikers like democracy dies in darkness. Uh, you know, the Washington Post and New York Times. Uh-huh. But it's, it's absurd. But, but you know, we, we got to remember that this is what we're dealing with. And we got to constantly remind ourselves that this is what we're dealing with. And, um, and, and once again, I'm speculating there. I mean, we know what Twitter was doing now. I mean, Twitter in 2018 and 2019 in their official account, people are asking us if we shadow ban. We don't. Read more to get all the facts. That is an outright lie. I mean, that is just, I mean, I'm not going to say fundamentally dishonest. That's a lie. a lie. I mean, that's an intentional lie. Um, and they stood by that lie until Elon Musk buys. Now, we can start talking about the Biden crime family. We can talk about James Baker. We can talk about these, the, S, the FBI agents. It's kind of interesting, Reb, because the media told us, and I'm including Twitter. I mean, I would argue Twitter is probably the biggest media voice in America. You said that, um, 
when you're trying to find out about the the offensive coordinator search at South Carolina, mm-hmm. I mean, do you go to the New York Times or do you go to Twitter? It's Twitter. I mean, we all go to Twitter to get our latest, greatest information, and it's interesting and provocative, and you know what to believe. Well, I mean, all of us don't, but most of us know he's full of it, and she's not. They're full of it, and they're not. Um, and you kind of decipher as time goes on who to believe, what to believe, mm-hmm. who to trust, who not, who not to trust. I want to see what people are saying about it. But but when you think about it, all of us conspiracy theorists and wackos and nut jobs and i include myself in that group (laughs) who was right about the lockdowns who was right about the vaccines who was right about the mask who was right about the laptop who was right about the fbi election interference who was right about twitter suppression i mean i went back and kept my score i mean I, i remember some of the voices early on that said guys we better be careful locking down these children I mean, we're going to devastate the educational process. We're going to inhibit them from developing as they should. Oh, no, no. Fauci said, oh, everything's fine. I mean, they'll learn at home, virtual learning, virtual schooling. I mean, you'll never know the difference in, you know, and now we're finding out, wow. I mean, how far did we get behind as a result of some of the draconian um, lockdowns? So we were right about lockdowns. Let's go to the, um, to the vaccine. Um, what is the cure for the vaccine? I mean, I think that's where we are now. I mean, if you're under the age of 40, what is the potential cure for the vaccine? Because I believe it's pretty provable now that the vaccine for someone under the age of 40 is more risky than someone not taking the vaccine. I think that if you're over the age of 60 with any sort of comorbidity, you're crazy to not get the vaccine and the booster and the double booster. I mean, the the, the annual shot. I mean, once again, if you're over the age of 60 and you have a comorbidity, go get vaccinated, go get boosted. If you're under the age of 40, reasonably healthy, you're taking a bigger chance going to get the vaccine than if you contracted COVID and created some sort of natural immunity. That's where we are with the vaccine. Let's go to the mask. There still is not a a peer-reviewed study that shows the mask worked, period. I mean, we can debate this study or that. There's not a single peer-reviewed study that says the mask worked. So you've got lockdowns, vaccine, and mass when it comes to the pandemic. Who was right and who was wrong? Every news agency in America, including Twitter, were telling us the lockdowns will not damage children's educational um, process. They told us the vaccines were bulletproof and ironclad, and you're foolish to not remember. Um, pandemic or epidemic of the unvaccinated, how dangerous we were. You know, the unvaccinated, the unwashed, the unclean, the unsaved, the ungodly. I mean, all of that was kind of correlated into one statement. And then you've got the mask. And I still people see people walking around today. I mean, I see morons driving their cars by themselves with masks on. You are a dumbass. I mean, there's no help for you. I'm convinced of that by now. I mean, it is December the 9th, 2022. You're riding around in your car by yourself wearing a mask. You are absolutely within your rights to do that. But you're a total, absolute, complete dumbass for doing that. But, but you can choose that. I mean, I've, I've done things like that. Let, let's go to um, the laptop. How many of us believed that the laptop was legit and needed to be investigated? Twitter didn't. But Twitter said we don't shadow ban. Uh, we allow all these in the free, you know, the um, the dynamic of the public town square is fair and, um, and unfiltered. Now we know that was absolutely not the truth. FBI election interference. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, James Baker, um, despite John Decker knowing nothing about James Baker. I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to push John a little bit next Thursday about this story because I think, I mean, I'm speculating here. <laughs> if if Decker's been beating around Washington for 20 or 25 years, and you know where I'm headed, if James yeah. Baker's been beating around Washington for 20 or 25 years, 
They're both attorneys. I think they probably rubbed shoulders at some point in time in the last two or three decades. Um, and I get it. I mean, running a little bit of interference for your friend. Um, Twitter suppression. I mean, how many of us believe that Twitter suppressed certain information, preferred certain narratives over others? Um, and now we find out absolutely unequivocally that that is true. In fact, I saw a Twitter thread that got my attention, and this is chilling to me. Let me know what you think. It was somebody posed a question that Elon responded to, and they said, can you confirm that there were Twitter accounts that were shadow banned and CD and VF and all that uh, of duly qualified candidates for office at election time? And Elon's response was? One word. Yes. Yes. I mean, he can confirm that. That's and he'll chilling. confirm that. As, sure it is. It absolutely is. That's I interference. Mean, if you are a pro-life Republican, you go in one category. Pro-choice Democrat, you go in another category. If you're a conservative or a Republican or an America firster, you're dealing with visibility filtering, content deamplification, censoring, suppressing of um, the following. I mean, but, but once again, guys, what we need to understand, I think what, we, what has been revealed at Twitter is, is I mean, we kind of sort of know this, but we can't prove it. I think Twitter, pre-Elon Musk, is reflective of the American media in general. It is, it is their job to not engage in the debate, but to stop the debate from ever taking place. When you can't win a debate of ideas, you got to figure out a way to not have the debate. When you believe that, that is, it makes more sense as an American government to, um, to release a female lesbian basketball player over a decorated American veteran for a merchant of death, an arms dealer who's been responsible for killing uh, many Americans, you just can't have that debate. Because the American people, by and large, I hope, would still say, nah, man, the Marine that's been there four years deserves to come home before the basketball player. I mean, they've got these trumped-up charges of espionage. I mean, she had some sort of um, drug paraphernalia in her possession. I think the American I mean, if the American people don't side there, then, I mean, we're, we're in worse shape than even I imagined. And you know me, I imagine us being in a, in a pretty bad place right now. Take a break. Back in just a minute. So we think we're beginning to find out what they're doing at Twitter, right? I mean, we think we know a little bit more about what they're doing. Is Twitter the second most powerful company in the world? Probably. I mean, disseminating information, controlling information. Um, we're learning how important Driving that is. narratives. I mean, that's an imp- I mean, I was, in my time in politics, it was my, I mean, I was convinced knowledge was my most valuable commodity. I mean, if I had knowledge of a situation um, that maybe other political actors didn't have, I could be more effective or, uh, you know, kind of steer the conversation. I mean, I think Google's the most powerful company on the planet. I mean, I really believe that. Twitter may be the second most powerful company because, once again, they allow us to um, converse with one another about what issues. And, uh, I mean, th- this story will be, I mean, th- there'll be a lot more to come. I mean, I'll assure you with that. But um, some of the characters and names we won't hear about until probably January, February of next year when Jim Jordan becomes chair of the Judiciary Committee and, um, you know how that goes. Uh, turned around as fair play mm-hmm. in American politics. Democrats had wait. to chair those committees for a while. Now it's time for the Republicans to seek um, retribution. Um, we don't know what's happening at Twitter, but we do know what happened in Florence this week. And it was a big, big moment in our um, in our existence. Forgive us, Sumter and Orangeburg, for celebrating here for just a second. But we had a major, major announcement, um, a big win for economic development in this area. As a former member of council, I know how hard it is to win those battles, and we were fortunate enough to um, to win one. I've got some of the team in front of me today um, that, that deserve a lot of credit for, I want to say, re-energizing economic development in a way that um, that we felt was, was much needed 
And you can re-energize, you can reorganize, you can re-structure, um, but nothing, um, nothing, I don't know, stirs the soul like a big announcement. Councilman Doherty, Chairman of County Council, Willard Doherty's with us. Um, Chairman of the Florence County Progress, Rocky Pierce, is with us. Economic Development Director, um, Greg Robinson, is with us. Willard, I'll start with you. Um, it, it's got to be rewarding, gratifying to invest what we have and, and all of a sudden, you know, land a big fish. I mean, that's a big moment in Florence County's history. Oh, most definitely, uh, Ken. And it's uh, it's something that we've been working for, uh, you know, for, for several years now. And all the pieces are starting to come together. Uh, I envision Florence County even moving further than this. Uh, you know, I always say that Florence, Florence County is the pearl of the PD. And if we don't progress, if we don't have economic development, and the rest of the PD is not going to do it. I think I think we need to be the synergy for all this, and we are, and we're moving in that direction. Uh, I applaud my councilman for three years ago when we did our bond. Some people said some things to us about it because it required a small tax increase. But if you're not willing to put any skin in the game, how can you ask somebody else <clears throat> to come along and give you skin also? And and with the team we put together and what what's happening now, uh, what commerce has done for us, what the state's doing for us, what we've brought to Florence County is unheard of. I mean, just just the fact if you think about it, this company, if it hires eleven hundred and seventy employees, which it has to because we have clawbacks on these agreements, if they don't meet them, then guess what? They don't receive, or they have to pay back whatever funding that was given to them. But if you average just seventy thousand dollars a year salary times eleven hundred and seventy people, it's pumping over eighty million dollars per year in the economy of the PD, not just Florence alone, but the PD. And that's a big deal, Rocky. I want to go to you if you don't mind. I mean, Willard was talking about uh, the state help, <laughs> commerce help, all these other. But you got to help yourself. And I think we recommitted ourselves to economic development a couple of years ago. You were a big part of that, reimagining, reinvigorating. I don't know what the right word is, but we did look ourselves in the mirror and said, hey, we can be better than this, and I think we are today. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Ken. Um, first of all, um, I'm president. I'm, I'm chairman of the Economic Development Partnership. Okay, correct. Jill Lewis is the private sector arm of our whole economic development team, and they give a lot of money. You talk about putting skin in the game. The private sector here, if you join Florence County Progress, it helps fund our annual budget uh, so that we can hire the people like Greg and have a good team and that sort of thing. So uh, it is, it's turned out to be a great partnership. But you're absolutely right. You know, Joe King decided to retire. And so what we needed, we needed was um, a, a really aggressive, intelligent, successful economic developer. And uh, so we formed a committee, a search committee, um, and hired a consultant. And so we got applicants from seven states, 21 applicants. And uh, Greg always was the one that kind of rose to the top. They whittled it down to six finalists, and we decided on Greg. And we were very fortunate to get him and have him here. So he's brought a, a freshness, if you will, an enthusiasm. And his reputation is that he won't let a client go until they say, tell him no at least three times. <laughs> Well, he is, he works all the time. And so, and we just have to give him kudos because he, he was the, a, a leading force in this announcement. Greg, and if you're not careful, politicians and former politicians like Rocky, we'll take all the credit if we're not, if we're not, <laughs> somebody's got to go find the de- bear, kill the bear and bring the bear home. I mean, that's kind of your job. And I've heard nothing but rave reviews of the job you're doing. I want to congratulate you personally for, um, what, less than a year, maybe somewhere around 
a year? Um, five months. Okay, five months. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's um. <clears throat> let me think real quick. That's less than a year. Yeah, yeah. five months <laughs> yeah. is less than a year. But um, congratulations. And uh, and what is it like to be a part of a team celebrating uh, a big moment in the county's history? Well, first off, thank you for having me here this morning. But uh, secondly, I'm humbled. Uh, the the people of the PD, Florence in general, uh, everybody has been f- phenomenal. Uh, when we bring prospects into a uh, community, <clears throat> the lead generated is one thing, but you still have to sell it. And and the community coming together is what won this project. We're talking about Twitter. When I read Twitter, I think Elon Musk. Elon Musk is in the electric car business. Tesla. This um this business that will uh will will call Florence home is in the electric vehicle or the battery sector. Explain as as much as you can and will about who they are and what they do. <clears throat> so uh, uh, the chairman said envision the possibilities. Well, it's called Envision AESC. It's born out of Nissan technology. It's from the Pacific Rim, Japanese company. Uh, it is going to be manufacturing the battery for the EV for BMW. All right, so let that sink in a little bit. So all of the EV batteries will be made in Florence, South Carolina, and then shipped to Greer, South Carolina for BMW. Rocky, I want to go back to you and Willard, if you don't mind. I talked about a teamwork and a, and a team approach. We did make uh, big investments in economic development. Philip Lowe was here. Jay Jordan will be here. Mike Rickenbaugh, they've talked about legislatively how they can help, uh, you know, lead this county to the next to the next phase. I mean, I talk to a lot of conservatives every day. I mean, I don't know how many listeners we got, but the, the line share of conservative in nature, they don't like government making investments in the private sector. They like the private sector to do its thing, government do its thing. But I have always advocated that government has to take an ownership in its community and advance an agenda that allows for prosperity and an opportunity. It's a little bit like recruiting a five-star football player. I mean, you, you can't make the rules just based on what you believe. You've got to accept the realities around you. And if Alabama's playing NIL, we better figure out a way to, to play NIL. What, what was it about the, the council that convinced them this was a, a worthy investment and, and, and kind of a, um, a re-enhancement of economic development? Well, uh, <clears throat> Ken, I think it's the fact that we, we would see we would see in our community stagnant and economic growth. Uh, you get a census and you and they tell you you've not gained population. So what do you do to uh, improve those situations? You've got to go 110 percent into economic development. And what will that do for us? Not only will it bring more jobs, it'll bring more people back to Florence County. We can increase that. It will it will improve the PD sector. It keeps people home. I mean, the PD's falling behind, and we needed this. And we recognize that, and that's why we did it. That's It, it, it was an easy sale to council. I, I was surprised how easy it was. The gentleman that I served with on council have in the past, and, of course, one of them's not here with us now, and he was a dear friend of mine, James Schofield. But James, last year of his life, he and I used to talk, you know, for hours about what we could do, what we needed to do. And he and I both believed that the path to prosperity and the future of Florence County was increased economic growth. No doubt about it. Rocky, having said that, I mean, you've been a figure in Florence for a long time, politically and non-politically. Um, how excited are you about this leading to other wins and other opportunities to, um, to add even more jobs to our area? Sure. Well, you know, we, last time we were here, we talked about speed to market. When it, companies are looking to come to a community, they want to make sure we have the product there, you know, uh, particularly the infrastructure. 
because when they make a decision, they have deadlines too, and they have to make sure they can meet those deadlines. So when the county issued that $22 million in bonds, you know, they went out and bought about a thousand acres worth of property and we still had to get some infrastructure. But the interesting thing was 80 acres that, that the county purchased right on 327 is going to be the main corridor entrance to this park. And so, but for that, you know, this product wouldn't, this project wouldn't be here. So I think in this teamwork, like you say, the city and the county have come together in a, in a tremendous way. It took both of them uh, to make this deal work. Um, so I feel really good about what's going on. And not only will this create the job, and it's a million five square feet of manufacturing space, which is, is a, a great, but there are also going to be significantly other suppliers that will come to supply. You know, the Japanese do just-in-time manufacturing. So they don't have warehouse space. They want their suppliers in close proximity. So with this new park that we're creating with the city and the county, I'll let Greg go into that in more detail. Um, not only will we sell that or give that 500 acres to this, but we're going to have another 800, 900 acres for the suppliers to come. And so it's going to be in proximity to the plant. So it's just opens up a, a whole new environment for us, quite frankly. And Greg, does this, make, I don't say make your job easier. I mean, obviously, I mean, you're competing with a highly, I mean, I'm serious, it's like competing for five-star quarterbacks <laughs> in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. But but how does this position us to move forward? Well, it, 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 it it's a game-changer in the sense of recognition. So uh, now that we have been recognized as a place that can deliver a return on it, let's not lose sight of the fact that they have to have a return on investment too and so by us building this industrial park and creating the environment proximity to the interstates proximity to rail proximity to uh, quality labor this is going to be one and a half million square feet but it's going to be 40 percent of that is is clean room level technology so we have to find quality folks and those that are out there uh, in the next six to seven months, I mean, we're going to create a micro site to drive uh, quality labor to this plant, and we need that. And so we've promised them that we can deliver on the labor force. So we need to deliver that labor to the company so that they have that return on investment. And I would imagine the university and the technical colleges will be a part of providing that, um, that educated workforce. Um, timeline, well, walk us through what you expect to happen uh, before they, you know, build their first battery. We have design, we have implementation, so that's going to take five to six months. We have a groundbreaking ceremony. They'll probably be June, May earliest. Uh, so we'll do that, and then we will uh, begin the production of this million and a half square feet. And we're talking reasonably $1,000 a square foot. Think about that for a second. Uh, this is clean room technology. And then, of course, by the time we finish the construction of the, the new facility, at the same time, we're hiring, we're upscaling uh, and delivering this new training center that will be either near site, on site or at the uh, uh, technical college. And so we have to think about the labor delivery, the transportation, the global supply chain. There's a lot of elements that go into the development of the site. So 1,200 jobs per five months is kind of what we could expect out uh, of um, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Uh, but by, by year three, easily. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and congratulations. And I mean that sincerely. Thank Coming you. to a new community, landing a big fish like that, everybody gets excited about it. Um, but, but I think you'll agree. The, these guys at uh, the partnership and the council made, a, made an investment that is now paying dividends. I, I agree 100%. And the city and the county working together is phenomenal. And economic development is that uh, 
uh, the center of that Oreo cookie. I mean, it, it is it is the best. Okay, well said. Thanks to all three of you. Will you got anything you want to add? Yeah, I'd of like course you do. You're a politician. <laughs> oh yeah, but I want to uh, uh, give give some kudos to the state because the state worked with us on yeah. this. We can't leave them out. That's true. I mean, what Commerce Department and the state has done for us is unheard of in this area. I mean, the amount of money that they have are pumping into this project for us is just unbelievable. And without it, we couldn't do it. Because it takes a team working together, and it starts with everyone, not just one person. Everybody's got to be on board. And, and I will add, uh, Ken, that for our listeners out there, that uh, $200 million worth of infrastructure so when they hear that, it's going into roads, water, sewer, the upgrades related to the site. Okay. Thanks to all three of you. Congratulations. And um, and I think there are good days ahead. I, I think this is a big announcement, but I think there will be other announcements to follow. We'll yes, take sir. a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. So the only... You got something on your mind. I do. Well, okay. I, think, I think this is a big deal. It's a little bit aggravating that talk radio... Fox News are the only ones really talking about this Twitter story. Okay. I mean, Fox put up there on their screen a few minutes ago how many minutes CBS, ABC, and NBC have devoted to the Twitter files. And it's zero, zero, zero. And, of course, it was well documented yesterday when we talked to John Decker in Washington, our correspondent, and you asked him about it, and he's like, I, I, don't, I don't think know. I, I don't know. I, I don't heard know much about that. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. And so he knows <laughs> he knows that that's uh, the story. I hope at some point gets distributed in a mass form. So we're talking about this. But but the thing that really got my attention was the and there's many, many uh, examples of evidence here. But it's the it's one tweet and response from Elon about what I think is potentially election interference where he was asked... The tweet that you thought I hadn't read? Well, I, I didn't know if you did. I pointed it out, okay. and of course you had read it because you knew the answer before I even asked the question. Right? That's my job. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but but it had to do it. So somebody had asked and tagged Elon and said, can you say whether or not a qualified candidate for office ever was subject to this shadow banning on Twitter? And his response was, yes. Yes, it's happened. So, I mean... And you think that's illegal? Well, well, I don't know as it relates to Twitter. I know as it relates to, to broadcast, there are very strict rules about political advertising and how political candidates uh, you know, access and the political advertising rates for the advertising. I mean, uh, Philip and uh, Jay here know that as much as anybody. And, and there are strict rules uh, to, to help protect candidates in the process, I guess, that, that, that broadcast facilities have to follow. And obviously, if Twitter is, is up to these kind of dirty tricks, are they in violation of the spirit of those type of rules. Well, I mean, you, you've told me before, let, let's say Jay and Philip have opponents. And if Jay and Philip come on, speak on behalf of their campaigns, we have to afford the opportunity. I mean, I can't tell Jay's opponent, no, you can't come on because I like Jay. I can't tell Philip's opponent, no, you can't come on because I like Philip. I mean, I'd like to do that, but I can't do that. I think I'm in violation of the SEC code, and that's what you're talking about. Well, and, I mean, and these fairness, I mean, it, it's not the fairness doctrine, yeah, but it's making sure the broadcasting and the disseminating of information is fair to people seeking public office. And, and it goes to political advertising rates. You have to offer, you know, kind of the same sure. advertising access and 
and cost of advertising because really if you wanted to to, to try to skew things unfairly you could say well i'm going to charge this candidate you know 10 times what i'm charging this candidate and make it that much harder and you can't do that in broadcast political advertising because you get out of fcc guidelines right. you get in bad trouble with the it's fcc district uh representative jordan representative phil lower here with us I, let's go a little step further i want to get your, your opinions on this and then we'll talk about state issues so i've i've interpreted and I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legislator. But but I've interpreted um, in 2018 and 19, Twitter said that people are asking us if we shadow ban. We don't read more to get all the facts, and then they refer to you as a uh, or refer you to a site they've got that lists their guidelines, their provisions, what they do, how they do. Um, Elon Musk buys Twitter. Um, they dump some of this data called the Twitter files. Twitter files one. Twitter file two. Um, you've got you know Apollo Creed and uh, what's it, Clubber Lang would be in, um, in Twitter files too. So so out of that came Barry Wise. She's formerly of the New York Times, left there because she felt they just weren't into journalism anymore. They were into advocacy or propaganda. So so she says that in this new Twitter files drop or dump, um, it reveals that Twitter employees did blacklist. They did prevent um, disfavored tweets, uh, tweets from uh, trending and actively limited the viability or visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics. Um, someone then asked Elon Musk, were candidates prohibited, you know, from um, engaging the largest audience they possibly could? And he answered one word, yes. And now he didn't say details to come, but you got to believe there are more drop, more details um, coming our way. Um, I read the Communications Decency Act, and there, there's a statute in there, 230, um, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And Jay, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, they, they've got their own lingo in Silicon Valley. VF is not Vanity Fair. It's visibility filtering. CD is not certificate of deposit. It's content, content deamplification. I mean, they've got this lingo in Silicon Valley. But, but I've landed that, that Twitter does have a right to editorialize. They, they have a right to censor an opinion. Um, but you can't, to Rev's point, promote one view over the other. In other words, if somebody, I think the, the, the Section 230 gives them the right to censor, if I go on and say, I think someone should kill President Biden, and our good friend Jeff says, I think someone should kill President Trump. That's hate speech. That's in violation of the, the you can't yell fire at a crowd of theater, sort of free speech amendment. It's crime. I mean, it, to me, that's criminal. You're encouraging someone uh, for an act of violence or a criminal act. But, but if someone said, I think someone should investigate President Trump, I think someone should investigate uh, President Biden, they, they shouldn't be treated any differently. And it, and and Elon saying, but they did. I mean, if somebody said, I think someone should kill Trump, it was censored. I think someone should kill Biden, it was censored. Someone, I mean, I think someone should investigate Trump. I mean, it's not deamplified. It's not <clears throat> um, filtered. Somebody should investigate Biden. It is filtered. It is deamplified. Am I barking up the wrong, the right tree from a legal perspective? I, th- I think you're exactly on point, so to speak. I think there are certain realities here you have to sort of identify and, and recognize. Number one, you're dealing with a, a, even still a new vehicle, so to speak. This isn't like radio or television to where we've been dealing with it for, you know, going back decades. Uh, to, the, to, to a large degree, it's still a very new mechanism of, of pushing out information. It's also, uh, for the first time, something that is in the hands of the people more so than any other mechanism of pushing out information, unlike, again, radio. Everybody can be a journalist. That's right. Everybody has the ability with the click of a few buttons on your phone in your pocket that we all carry around to push that information out for everyone to see. So in that sense, it's it's also new and different. 
you're also dealing with some very smart people who have figured a way to monetize this uh, and they're going to try and play both sides of the field in order to benefit themselves i mean that, that's just an underlying truth in this and you see it from the very beginning of this on the one hand they want to come out and say this is this is the people's you know new interstate so to speak it is infrastructure it is technology it is here for all of us on the other hand we want to control it in the dark of night and and limit what you can um what you can say and what you can't say um i think you're absolutely right on your legal analysis of it there there are boundaries you can't you know if if there are two political candidates going on there you know you couldn't go on there run one candidate couldn't go on there and make up an accusation and say john smith was a bank robber 10 years ago and the reality is and and this is this is sort of a sad reality to this passive aspect of it. Some people will believe every single thing they see. Some people will believe nothing they see. And then there's the, the, the sort of middle ground in between. But, you know, there, there are boundaries. You can't just make up things. But you should. it should be a free flow of thoughts and ideas that isn't controlled by this higher power. And, and, and Philip, you and I kind of ascribe to the Wild West theory. I, can, I don't believe there's an animal living in America today. I mean, Philip's been hunting for two or three weeks, and i got to believe that every animal in America, he's killed everything there is to kill. That's why he's back on the radio this morning. But you and I don't mind the Wild West. Uh, I mean, we kind of don't. I mean, you're, you're a little bit like that, and I'm a little bit like that. But we got to accept, as Jay said, there has to be some guidelines or structure. If I post a picture of my new puppy, I'll get 377 likes. If I say something negative towards liberals then i'll get seven i know they've been limiting you know who sees my content on say facebook and all that but you know media is biased one way or the other there's never been more biased and they've figured out how to monetize it and look if i can get half of the people to to buy my product or see my influence then that's the way they they're approaching now, nobody's looking for the middle ground this show in the middle ground we're all biased. Uh, I know I am, and and you guys are are conservative in my belief. Uh, so it's a it's a battle, and it's a it makes it tough on conservatives because ninety percent of the media is controlled by the liberals. Uh, I, I don't know how we even this up, but I like the stance of of free speech as broadly as that can be interpreted without getting into just hate speech and and, and ill. Uh, towards somebody where you're going to harm them physically. Jay, I'm going to go back to the lawyer side, and, and, I, and I want to get your opinion to this. So, so we've debated. Somebody on the phone? Okay, we'll get there in two seconds. We, we've debated on this show, and I don't have the answer to this. I mean, obviously, I'm an opinion monster. i got a lot of opinions. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it, it is new. I mean, it is. But, but CNN has less than a million viewers. Twitter has 250 million active users. I mean, it disseminates a lot more information. People see and read Twitter a lot more than they do CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Is it time to evaluate whether or not they should be treated as a monopoly, as a public utility? Uh, You use the word infrastructure. I mean, there are certain rules and guidelines, right? I mean, you can't drive on my side of the road, and I can't drive on yours. If if I do and we have an accident, I've got big problems. But, But is it time to consider? I'm not saying whether we should or not, but is it time to consider and debate whether or not there's a there's kind of another way to deal with the um, the information infrastructure or interstates you're talking about. Well, well, it's always time to consider and debate. You know, can we do it better? Are we doing it right? Is, you know, is there a better path forward? Um, are we having that debate? Well, in certain places we are. We're doing it right now on a on a largely listened to medium here in our part of the country. Um, 
I think it is happening. I, I, I worry, kind of back to Philip's point, that it's being censored in some places. And it's fair to worry. That's the other thing. Too many times, you know, you, you throw something like this out and the media says, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. You know, and sometimes it is a conspiracy theory that has very little, if any, truth in it. But sometimes it's absolutely the truth. So many times conspiracy theories have come true enough to where there are some of us that are, are justified in, in wondering. I, again, I go back to Philip's point. We're a country, you know, I, as a lawyer, sometimes I get asked, is it better? Is our system built to let the innocent, you know, go to prison or the guilty go free? And we're absolutely a system that says better to let the guilty go free. That's why it takes unanimous verdict of 12 people to convict somebody. Um, I, I kind of go back to broader is better on this. More freedom than less is better on this. I mean, there are there do need to be some guidelines. Back to that, you can't say fire in a movie theater kind of concept. You can't put people in danger. But to some degree, you, you need to give, or to a large degree, you need to give people the right to say what they want to say. And, um, and Twitter does that. And, and Yeah, but what they've been doing, keep in mind, we are talk radio conservative talk radio that's who we are and what we do twitter did all of this in secret and denied they were doing it yeah and yeah. then that, i mean it's, it's obvious they lied now yeah. whether they it's, broke it's the law or not i don't know to the what, users and the whether, public. whether they violated the community decency i mean that act and then section 230 of of that act. let's go to the phone don in florence well don you're on the air i just wanted to have a question when we're talking about this twitter and make no mistake it's in all social media all the stuff has been dogpiled on the FBI over the past since Trump came down the escalator. When is those arms of the government going to be reined in and governed properly? I just that's a question to anybody like to answer. Thank you, Don. Appreciate that. Well, I said yesterday that um, and you guys can jump in. I mean, you, these guys are members of the General Assembly, but they got a lot of other opinions about politics because we talk about it from time to time. But um. But it's, it's weird that I know seven names of people who work for the FBI. I mean, that, that I grew up, I mean, I, I didn't know, I mean, Ed, J. Edgar Hoover, I'd heard of him. That's about it. Um, today, I know seven names. I actually wrote them down yesterday from memory. I mean, I didn't look them up, didn't um, Jim Comey, Andy McCabe, uh, James Baker, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Kevin Kleinsmith, Christopher Wray. Um, the, the reporting I'm doing, Philip, and, I, and I'll let you jump in here, Christopher, excuse me, um, James Baker to me, is the most interesting figure because Baker is the guy that convinced Klein Smith to alter the document to suggest to the FISA court judge that the Steele dossier was not opposition research. I mean, when, when the when the FISA court judge read the dossier, it was proposed to him as legitimate journalism. And the FISA warrant was issued. Now, Klein Smith later admitted he lied. He admitted he'd altered the document. He never threw um, Baker under the bus. But but I believe Baker because he was his he, he was a superior. So I think Baker, I think Klein Smith was the fall man for the work Baker wanted done. So then Baker goes um, to the Biden um, to to the uh, the Biden the Biden campaign comes to Baker and says, "Hey, we got this story about you know the president or the guy you know the Democrat nominee's son and the 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 laptop. Um, we need your help." And and we believe, and I'm speculating here, but but Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan's podcast that somebody from the FBI came to see them and asked them to um, adjust or alter their algorithms to not allow this story to be as mainstreamed. Um, now we know that somebody went to Twitter, since Elon Musk has bought it, from the FBI and strongly encouraged them to adjust their algorithms, and they did. In fact, they deplatformed the New York Post and Kaylee McEnany, 
who was Trump's press secretary, because they were trying to pitch this story and nobody would nobody would um would take debate and make it and make it mainstream. Um, I mean, I'm not asking you. I mean, the state general assembly can't do anything about that. But isn't that? I mean, Philip, if 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 we lose the ability to debate, I mean, the three of us agree ninety percent of the time. But we're not a, we're we're not ashamed or embarrassed to to debate some of the things we disagree on. We've done it over the air before. But I mean, if we're disallowed to even have that debate, and it appears to me that's what the liberal media wants. They don't want to win the debate. They want to disallow the debate from ever from ever taking place. And if the FBI has involved themselves in in putting the um you know their thumb on one side of the scale or the other for a political campaign, that should scare the hell out of everybody, shouldn't it, Philip? That is scary, and and. So you know, the call is about why don't we do something about it? Well, you do something about it, and you're going to find you come home from vacation, and then the FBI is standing in there opening your safe and going through your wife's underwear drawer. I mean, you these guys, listen, they they can track you, they they can monitor you. Good lord, I mean, these little private investigators can find out if your wife's fooling around on you overnight. You know, I mean. What do you think these guys can do if you start bugging you? Trump was bugged while he was running for president, guys. I mean, there's no more obvious thing that happened. It, was that biased? Of course it was. Uh, who was pulling the strings? Well, we assume the Clintons. But but going after them means you better kill them, and you better be totally in power to wipe out a few and set an example, or you better not say much. And, Jay, you've seen the legal system in action. I mean, it can be— very intimidating at time. It could be um, taking advantage of it. Other, I mean, as someone who has been up close and personal to the process, does that? I mean, does that concern you? Well, go back to something I said a minute ago. You're dealing with a, a pretty smart group of people, uh, you know, incredibly wealthy. Um, who and I, I give you an example. In some sense, you know, we, we say the fix is in, and in some sense, I think they admit the fix is in. You know, you just I was I kind of lit up when you were reading what Zuckerberg was saying. He, he talked about their algorithms. That's an, an and an, an admission, we have a system in which we dictate who sees what and how often you see it and to what degree it gets pushed out in that algorithm, that that process. So they're basically telling you the fix is in in that respect. Let's take a break. We'll be out of the call. Okay, we'll take a break. 843-661-0937. Back in just a minute. So we may not be as technologically advanced as Twitter, but we can figure things out on the fly. Philip gets a text from his work that he's got to be there in a matter of seconds, but I think he's on the phone with us en route to his business. Philip, you there? I'm here. Okay, I want to get your opinion first. We're not here to kind of communicate uh, visually, but we'll do it verbally. I want to get your take on, we had um, uh, Council Chair Willard Doherty, we had Rocky Pierce, former Mayor of Florence and current Chair of the Partnership, the Florence Economic Board, and we had Greg Robinson, who was the current Economic Development Director. Um, and I go back to you and Jay and your belief that we had to invest in economic development we had to figure out a way to be better at economic development. And in five months, that investment is paying major, major dividends. Um, Philip's got to be uh, encouraging what happened in the announcement of this week. That was collaboration at its finest. You know, we met back in January, uh, and uh, the delegation uh, had myself and uh, Representative Jordan there. And we put Jay in charge of economic development, and I was kind of heading up the thing, trying to get everybody there. We had a great turnout, and and I said, you know, we got to do something different, and what we have to do is work together better. And I'm proud to say the state, the city, and the county came together with all of its resources and made this happen. 
And, so, and it, it was you can't say any one person did it. It was collaborative as good as he could do it. So, Philip, when you have a big win, uh, sometimes we get complacent. I mean, we kind of rest on our laurels. Um, what motivates you to make sure we don't just have that single big win? Well, I'll tell you, we fully funded four different developments, four different industrial sites. And I mean fully. It's supposed to take care of sewer, water, stormwater, gas, buying you know, extra land, whatever it took. I said, tell me what it's going to take. And we went and found the money, brought it back, our whole delegation. I mean, I applaud everybody. We've got nine members of the Florence delegation, and we all stuck together and made sure we got what it took because it's our turn to grow. Jay, I'll let you jump in. It's not, not a question, but as much as um, I mean, I want to hear your celebratory comments about what happened this week. I don't know if I can say any better. It, it's a, you know, um, it's an exciting time. Um, I, I, sometimes people ask me, you know, why you run for office. Uh, and, and I think in its core, this is definitely connected to it. You know, I want my community that I grew up in to be a place that as my kids are getting older, that they want to stay and raise their family and, and live and work and worship in, in, in this community. And the reality is we're going to have to um, grow. We're going to need, and we're, that meant investing in ourselves. That meant creating economic development opportunities. Um, I applaud everyone who stepped up to the plate and says, you know, it takes takes some, some courage to say what we have done worked in the past but hasn't been working, and now we need to, need to you know, roll our sleeves up and figure out a new path forward brought some new people to the table and they've done a great job. And I, you know, you addressed an issue of, you know, the complacency thing. We've had a big win, you know, the three gentlemen that you had in here earlier, that they get a tremendous amount of credit for all the work and and effort they did to accomplish this. Um, You know, I've talked to them individually and together and I can tell you, there's no complacency there. There, they see this as an opportunity uh, to take the next step. Uh, it's kind of like when, you know, the old story of Alabama winning the national championship, Nick Saban's on the phone, on the plane with recruits, you know, trying to worry about the next. And th- and that's when the opportunity is the greatest. Right now, um, we celebrated a major victory, and it's the perfect time to call those those recruits and say, look at what we're doing here in Florence. Look at the opportunity here. We're ready. You're welcome and wanted, and we're prepared to invest in our workforce and, 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 and grow, and we want you to be a part of that. It's the perfect opportunity to take the next step. Philip, last question for you, and we'll let you get back to work. Um, Councilman Doherty, Chairman Doherty, said that he thanked the state for their involvement, their support. Kind of walk us through how the state supported, how you and Jay and Mike and others of the delegation were responsible for making sure state government acted as they did. Well, you really have to follow this project back. It's been 11 years in the making to get this place ready, and you're well aware of, of the site location and all. But, you know, we've been continuing to push the Department of Commerce to help us to find something for our region that fits. Um, and what is there's over, what, $100 million that the Department of Commerce is going to help with here. And, and that took planning and getting that stuff budgeted and, and having votes with basically the old budget control board and all. And, and those components of this, it never would have happened without that extra big chunk of money that's coming from the Department of Commerce. And our governor uh, fought for us, and I, I had a word with the governor. When we first got in, I said, "You know, last governor got us nothing. We, you got to help us." And and I, he took it to heart. And Jay, that's um, I mean, that's the job of uh, the delegation to make sure we are effectively represented in Columbia. 
Absolutely. I mean, we're we're fortunate. We're blessed. We live in a state. South Carolina is growing. It's because, it, back to that, what I was saying a second ago, we want economic development. We welcome growth. We want uh, good jobs for our people in our area. We have a governor that believes in that and gets out and is, is probably our biggest cheerleader for, for the state of South Carolina. But at Phillips Wright, we sat there together and said, you know, that's that's $50 million going to Greenville. That's a $75 million going to Charleston. We need to Florence deserves and is ready and prepared to grow and 160 million dollars coming from commerce for this this project is justified because the people of this area will will you know roll up their sleeves and go to work and will 800 jobs is going to be tough to fill but we're we're prepared and capable and ready to do it. Philip, you still there? And and federal federal money played a hand in this too. The ARPA money that came down, the state is distributing it, but that was providing money for sewer, water, and stormwater infrastructure product, and it hit at the perfect time because now Florence had enough money to invest in in water. And listen, electricity is going to be important. Although they're making batteries, the irony is they're going to they're going to need as much electricity as half of Florence has right now. So the, the infrastructure needs. If they're not in place, then you don't have this. And the reason this happened was this. This happened because we were putting everything in place, and and they recognized it. They know that if they go somewhere and start from scratch and just look at an empty field somewhere and nothing's been done, it's a three-year process to get through all the red tape of government. Phil, before I let you go, anything people need to be aware of? I mean, you guys go back in session in January. It's December. That means next month you guys will be back at work in Columbia is there any pre-filed legislation or cleaning up you guys have to do from last year that you think people need to be aware of? Well, obviously they'll they'll dive back into abortion again. Um, we'll be looking at a variety of things for continuing this infrastructure build and, and workforce is where we have to concentrate. We don't have enough people wanting to work, willing to work, getting paid enough for whatever the reason. We don't have enough workers in this state, and that's going to limit uh, how much industry wants to come here. So we've got to invest in that and get people off the couches. Well explained. Thank you, Philip. We're going to let you go back to work. Jay Jordan will stay with us for just a bit. Jay, I want to kind of piggyback off Philip's comments. Now, you see a lot of things on Facebook and Twitter. One of the most interesting things I read on Facebook after the announcement, obviously there's a huge celebration. There's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. But then there's this reality. And somebody posted, they're kind of a kind of a negative guy anyway, but he said, a little bit like me, um, contrarian, but he said, where are you going to get all these workers? You know, all these businesses need workers today. Where are we going to, how do we reinvigorate that human spirit of people wanting to go to work? You know, hopefully it's still there. It's, it's just been a little covered up. Um, you know, the federal government did not do us any favors by pouring money on top of money, uh, basically encouraging people to not work. Um, how, how do we do it here? Number one, we have a couple great starting points. We have great resources in Francis Marion and Florence Darlington Tech to build off of. <clears throat> um, and uh, in addition to that, this industry that's coming brings with it its own apparatus, so to speak, to connect and partner with those institutions to then build their own workforce development to say, all right, you go to these institutions, get this skill set, then you come to us for us to help you refine it, and then we put you to work. So there's a plan in place. We just have to get people educated and prepared and ready to go out and, and do it. The good news that, that we have you know, we talk about eight, I just said 800 people, and that's a lot of people, and it really is to get get ready to get prepared to go to work. Um, we don't just pull from Florence proper. You know, as Florence goes, so goes an entire region of the state, the PD. We've got um, areas around us, Williamsburg, Marion, 
Dillon, Darlington. This, these are going to be good enough jobs. It's going to pull from all around the PD and will help all around the PD. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Representative Jay Jordan with us. Got about, what, six or eight more minutes here before we take our last break. We don't have any football picks. We do have Army-Navy, but Mike's not here. How did we end up? I'm a little worried right now. I got no Mike. I got no Philip. I'm in here alone with the media. Um, <laughs> with the media. Oh, know. my Lord. I don't know the media. I don't know. Oh, you, you're just as bad, no, you're part yeah. of what you're let, let, let me say this. I'm in here with a politician alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder who comes out on that, I, uh, I on check that your, ordeal. I check your wallet. Make sure it's still there. There, there you go. Um, Philip's talking about some of, the, um, some of the work you guys have ahead of you in January. What do you see? as some of the priorities? I think you're going to see a couple things. I think you're going to see a continuation of some of the things that have been priorities previously. What I mean by that is more, you know, trying to cut taxes and invest money in infrastructure. You know, those have been things we've been working on for a while. I think you'll see continued investment in education. I think that'll take on a two-front process. and I think you'll see another attempt to increase teacher pay. I think you'll also see a, a good faith effort to, uh, go down more of a competition road with education, with education savings account, you know, that accounts. That was an issue that got advanced and got to the one-yard line on a couple different concepts of um, prototypes or, you know, um, you know, opportunities to study that, and it really didn't get over the finish line. Late. But you've got a superintendent now advocating Correct. for that. Ellen Weaver, um, do you think there's a willingness to kind of – I mean, Ellen can't do it. I mean, maybe she thinks she can, but, but Ellen, you can't. Uh, trust me, you can't do it without General Assembly. I mean, the House and Senate will have to be on board. Do you sense that? I do. I think some of the inside baseball there, you know, a lot of a lot of changes, at least on the House side, not so much on the Senate side, but on the House side, new uh, new chairman of the Education Committee, Shannon Erickson, who actually well, way back when was from Florence. She's out of Beaufort. She, is, she was the primary sponsor of the prior education savings account legislation. So I think you'll see her. Uh, push that issue more in conjunction with the superintendent's office. So I think that issue will, don't know how it'll look, don't know exactly what form it'll take, but I think that will be one of the things that comes up. I think another thing you're going to see is a hot topping issue that's for here as well as all across South Carolina, that's some crime reform. I think you're going to see some fentanyl bills come up. I've already co-sponsored a couple of those. I think you're going to see some bond reform bills. Again, those are things that we've dealt with here in Florence, but also dealt with on not just a, a state or a, a PD area or a Florence area, but on a statewide basis and even a national Explain basis. Explain some of that, Jay. I mean, you can't go into all the details, and I understand that. But, I mean, give us kind of a cliff note. We say bond reform. Give me a cliff note of that. So if you look at back at the judicial process, uh, I'd say bond reform is one of the things that has not been addressed in a very, very, very long time. Going back to how magistrates are selected, you know, that's, that's the Senate's job. The senator basically has forever had carte blanche. Uh, to basically say this is my senator and put them up and they don't really do any kind of oversight or analysis much into the, the capabilities or the qualifications of that individual. I know Mike's been working with that. He's talked about that, um, that something ne- that needs to be addressed. And then as, as to just the nuts and bolts of how you address the actual bond process, um, there, there are not a whole lot of guidelines for that magistrate. You know, one of the problems is when the magistrates don't get it right, which happens to all of us, and, and they make mistakes like anybody from time to time, there's not a lot of them, not a lot of guidelines out there to say, well, if this person's been out on bond three different times and still has pending charges. Let's do something different. We've all we've talked about that on here. We've seen that too many times. That has to be addressed. I've got another bill that uh, is going to look at that as well. Um, so really reforming how we go about addressing um, the bond process. Last question. 
there's a I mean, the, the, the debate that'll rage next year will be about whether Ron DeSantis takes on Donald Trump in the Republican primary. Whether you believe it or not, you'll be affected by that. I mean, you'll be impacted in some way. I mean, if DeSantis and Trump decide to run against one another, every Republican officeholder in America is going to have to deal with whatever comes their way. And I'm not saying who do you choose, how do you like, I mean, how do you make a decision between one or the other. I want you to explain to our listeners how much America first is in Columbia. I mean, we know it permeates in Washington. We know there's a populist movement in America that Trump kind of um, epitomizes, so to speak. Um, but when you go to Columbia as a Republican, is there an America first Republican in Columbia and a what we'll call a, a establishment Republican? I know it's not exaggerated in Columbia as it is, but I mean, walk me through the mindset of the Republican Party in South Carolina today. Well, I think you have to start with that America first concept is not something that is just in Washington. It has trickled down. It has permeated every layer, not just even the state government, but all the way down to county, city. I mean, I I think it's a concept, an idea, if you would, more so than just simply one particular policy issue. It it, it affects all policy issues in some way, shape, or form. Um, It's it's very different. You know, if you go back and look at it, I'm, I'm basing this more on opinion than anything else, but if you look at a lot of the problems in Washington today, I believe at the core is this concept of, you know, we're paying hundreds of thousands, a couple hundred, over a couple hundred thousand dollars now. You get a Cadillac retirement, you get the best health care, and you've created a career class of politician in Washington who are dependent on on, on this um, this median to, to earn a living, basically. And so it has, it, it, in my opinion, it's it's infiltrated every aspect of the of our federal government in that respect. And I'm not by any means saying state government is perfect, but when you compare the two, um, you know, the $10,400 a year in salary, we meet three days a week, five months out the year, and that's that's a lot. Some would say that's too much, um, but it's not an everyday 12-month-a-year kind of job, and I don't think it should be. I think we need to get back to the concept of the citizen legislator and citizen um, in Washington as much as we can compared to Columbia as well. Um. That about does it for me. Ray, have you got anything yeah. you want to ask Jay uh, Jordan? Uh, no, I, I'd like to revisit the picks. Though. Yeah, let's, the, let's, the, so, so I mean, yeah, I mean, who who won? I mean, well, I'm, because, I'm winning. I'm winning. That's all we need to know. We'll do Mike, the bowl game. Mike, Mike, Mike's probably on an app right now. He's out of town. Yeah, but, uh, but think about this. Now, I don't know how many. There's 365 bowl games. One for every day of the year, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's like the, that's the beauty of the college football season. I thought post-season. this was a regular season situation well, I, mean, I don't know that we need to invade the bowl <laughs> process you always you, you've been complaining for weeks about the bowl process well it's is, stupid is, it sucks I mean, so it, why it, are we I, I won the regular season you know this is <laughs> this is like the braves winning the regular season let's just call it i'm the winner it's over i think it's unfair okay. to declare you're a winner when, when mike's not here you're right <laughs> I, mean, I do agree I with think that. you need to wait until we'll, he gets we here. need to have a celebration there should be a cake with my name or likeness on it. <laughs> I, I would imagine um, he's preparing for that. I, I yeah, would imagine and, and we fireworks should, or something. He should absolutely be here to participate in that, that victory celebration. <laughs> and I, and I would that. imagine he'll be here um, next Tuesday. Let's do this, Rev, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we got about a minute and a half here before we take our last break of this hour. Um, you and I have a personal affinity for a man who's no longer with us, Mr. Frank Avant, and we're trying to honor his um, his legacy uh, by supporting a season of giving. Mr. Avant was... Um, General Manager of Pepsi of Florence for 51 years. And I'm telling you, if you went out there the last day he was working, he had a name tag on. I mean, he was not a big shot, didn't try to be a big shot. He was a man of the people. He was one of the kindest, uh, most sincere, most generous people I have ever known in my life. True gentleman. And uh, no question about it. And what we're trying to do here, Jay, 
is um I mean we've got some broadcast some, excuse me some sponsors Pepsi of Florence is our presenting sponsor but the youth mentors of the PD and boys and girls club of the PD have identified six needy families and we want to help these families have a an exceptionally um uh, exceptionally blessed and unexpected Christmas and the only way we do that is with your help we've got sponsors here that have stepped up and I'll give you the sponsors Redbone Alley PD Marlboro Electric, Florence Toyota, Mr. Sparky, Benjamin Franklin Plumbers, Trinity Auto Glass, Victor's Walk-Up Electrical, Anderson Brothers Bank, Stoudemire Dialing Funeral Home, Swap Payment Solutions. All those uh, businesses have stepped up. We need you to do the same. We really and truly are asking. I mean, we don't ask much of our listeners. They don't ask much of us, um, <laughs> but we don't ask much of you. But but if you can find it in your heart to make a donation, we, we greatly appreciate it. And I know it's a, um, for you who knew Mr. Avant, it would have been an exceptional way to pay respect and tribute to his legacy. And we can help the Boys and Girls Club and the Youth Mentors of the PD um, put these six families on the road to having a, a, a very blessed and unexpected Christmas. And I'll let Rev tell you how you can make a donation. If you want to see a list of the items that we're shopping for for these families, that's available on the live953.com website. Click on the Season of Giving banner. There's also importantly the big green donate button so check out the list if you want to click on the donate button make your donation and our our folks from pepsi of florence and here at the radio station have already started shopping uh, for our families and uh, we need your help to kind of pull this together as we get closer to christmas and it amazes you what these kids want i mean they don't want iphones and ipads i mean they, they want socks and, and and just some of the some of the bare simple necessities that we all so take for granted. Let's, I mean, help us help them if you don't mind. Take a break. Back in a minute.
What better way to begin our decompression hour than a Springsteen? I mean, we're, no, we're, I can think are of we back way. together now? No. I mean, I'm thinking about it. I mean, we've talked about getting back together. Or are we getting back together, Rev? I mean, we no. had irreconcilable no. differences. Nope. We, we've agreed to go to counseling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I and Bruce have been in counseling sessions for uh, since the um, since the Super Bowl ad. I mean, that's when we really began to fall out, and, and the uh, the divorce became final once Rev and I tried to buy Springsteen tickets to Madison Square Garden, and the dynamic scoring became a um, yeah. not something I'd heard about. But something we it affected actually, you personally. It did affect me personally. Change your opinion. Yeah, I did. And no, we're not back. I mean, it's Christmas. He's got a couple of good okay. Christmas songs. We're so. giving in to the Christmas spirit. Yeah, that's it. Good deal. And we're then, giving then. in to the Christmas spirit. Frio wants to jump in here. I got to give you a little bit of a pass because keep in mind, I still listen to Pearl Jam. I just don't spend any money on it. Okay, them. there you go. So. He's giving me an out. So you've not don't stopped listening that. to Pearl Jam. You just, you just have agreed you're not going to... Contribute to their economic prosperity. Yeah, no tickets or merch or okay. buying any records. But or- you know, when you listen to their music, they get some, some, some. I mean, they get a smidgen of money. Oh no, I downloaded that ten years ago. Okay, <laughs> so he's pirating yeah. Pearl Jam, is what he's doing. Um, good deal. So, no, so he, he paid for it probably when he still liked it. But the, but the he still supported. But the moral of the story is, Freehold has a complicated relationship with Pearl Jam, as I have a complicated relationship mm-hmm. with Springsteen of the E Street Band. We'll deal with that. Uh, when time comes. Uh, Jason Priester, allclemson.com, is with us. Jason, good morning. How are you? I'm doing just fine, man. How about y'all? So I'm going to hold you longer than normal, and I'm going to force you to talk about things that you may or may not want to want to talk about. <laughs> but um, but I saw all over um, social media since um, the quarterback change at Clemson that what if they had made that change against the Gamecocks. We'll get to that in a minute, Jason. But they did look like a different team, a much more inspired team against North Carolina, the ACC championship game. Yeah, no doubt about it. When, when club came into the game, you, you could feel the energy inside the stadium. It, it just changed in, instantly. Um, he, he brings a whole different skill set to the offense. It changes the whole dynamic. And, and for the first time in a few weeks, we saw a consistent downfield passing game, something we probably haven't seen consistently for four quarters since Wake Forest, maybe. You know, definitely not since the Syracuse game. DJ's definitely had his share of struggles since that week, and and he's kind of regressed a little bit more each and every week to what we saw against South Carolina, which was pretty bad. Um, I thought the leash was going to be short for him going in, and it turns out that it was. But, but Jason, and I don't want to rain on the parade because I mean I watched the game and he did look like he had a better grasp a grasp of the uh, deep ball and and you know kind of hitting runner I mean hitting receivers in stride. But but North Carolina's corners aren't as good as South Carolina's. I mean I don't want to sound like a homer here, but but the Gamecocks had good corners and they forced DJ to throw into tight windows. And when a quarterback lacks confidence and a staff lacks confidence in that quarterback, that can lead to a nine for thirty or eight for twenty nine or nine for twenty nine ninety nine yard passing game. How much was this about? This guy being that much better than the other, and and let's give the game cost a little bit of credit on the backside of their defense. The corners at North Carolina are not as good as South Carolina's. No, North Carolina's corners are not as good as South Carolina's. You get no argument from me there. Um, North Carolina's defense is not very good. Period. Let's be honest; it, it hasn't been good all season. I think it ranks in the one hundreds somewhere passing defense wise, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it, it just is what it is. And, and Mac Brown admitted after the game. 
they didn't prepare for Klubnik at all. They they, they prepared for DJ. They didn't think Dabo Sweeney was going to make the switch. He hadn't made it all season. They didn't expect him to make it last Saturday. And um, I still can't believe he admitted, admitted that publicly, <laughs> but but, um, but he did. And, you know, they didn't look like they had prepared for him. They looked like they had pre- prepared to gear up to stop the run, and they did. Clemson only ran it for 60-something yards. I think Klubnik had 30-something of those yards. So, you know, that was their defensive game plan, and they did not game plan for Klubnik at all, and I thought it kind of showed. Jason, what happened to DJ? I mean, you're up close to the program. You watch him every week. I mean, you've watched the goods and bads of uh, of DJ, and I don't even try the last name. What, what, I mean, from, from when he got there to, to what he – will eventually leave as i mean what walk me through what you think happened to a five-star highly touted quarterback i wish i had the answer to that one um i could tell you what i think um you know i think last year he played through a lot of injuries probably more beat up than than the typical fan would know um he, he was very beat up injured throwing hand injured knee on his plant leg we all i mean i think he was beat up from the opening game throughout the rest of the season this season he's not been beat up though you know he's been healthy and and i thought he started the season off well but after that syracuse game when he threw those three interceptions in the first half or the first two plus quarters or whatever it was he just not looked like the same guy and he's never looked like your typical five-star talent um i know what he did at notre dame in his freshman season i know how good he looked that night but he never looked like he had that it factor you see in a generational type quarterback and to me i think it's it's more between the ears than anything and i've never been able to quite put my finger on it i listened to kyle richardson talk a few weeks ago about dj and he said he thought one of dj's biggest problems was He's always looking for the perfect play. He wants everything to be perfect. And there's never there's rarely gonna be the perfect play in in a football game. You get like you said earlier, you gotta throw into those tight windows. The perfect play's hardly ever gonna be there. You gotta make the plays. And I'm not sure DJ's that guy. Jason, let's shift gears. I mean, we had an announcement um Sunday of what South Carolina Clemson will play at the bowl games. I mean, you're the Clemson guy. I wanna be kind of um, specific to that game. Um bowl games don't excite me. I mean, I think the playoff system has really taken a lot of the steam and momentum out of the um, – and I, once again, I think we've waited too long to have a playoff, too long to expand the playoff, but we're getting there sooner than later. Despite saying that, the the Tennessee-Clemson-South Carolina-Notre Dame matchup – I mean, even if you're a Gamecock or a Tiger or not, they are both intriguing matchups. Um, is, is Clemson Nation excited about going to a bowl game, not in the playoff, and playing a really good Tennessee team? Um, I think some of them are. I think some of them probably aren't. I think it would probably just depend on who you ask. Um, there's going to be a lot of fans that, that never get over Dabo Sweeney not making that quarterback change, you know, earlier in the season. Not even just during the South Carolina game, but before that, you know. It, it blows my mind the number of people that think that that coaching staff was purposely sitting on a guy that they thought gives him the better shot. For whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of people that think that. That's something I can't wrap my head around. Coaches get paid to win games. But, yeah, I, I think there are some fans excited about going to the Orange Bowl. I think some fans probably aren't. Um, Myself, 
it excites me a little bit. I, I always enjoy going to Miami. It's a fun town. Um, get to spend a few days down there in the warm. But I think this Orange Bowl matchup and and the South Carolina matchup against Notre Dame, like you said, I think those are two of the more intriguing matchups of all the bowl games out there. Now, a lot of that might ride on who who all opts out for for these teams, but um. I think these are going to be two of the more interesting games played in bowl season. Uh, you, 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 you kind of opened that door, so I want to step in. And, and I've talked a lot about this to a lot of different Gamecock and Tiger fans. There, there is not going to be debate about whether you like transfer portal and NIL. I mean, it is here. It is the reality that college football programs are going to deal with every single day of every single week of every single season moving forward. As a Gamecock fan, I like the idea that Shane Beamer's never been a coach outside of the NIL. Outside, I mean, it's, it's his norm. I mean, it's how he will build his program. If he successfully does, he will do it in concert with the transfer portal, with the NIL. Dabo built a program on culture and loyalty and family and kind of a, um, I don't know, a uh, an insiderism that we're different than everybody. We're special. I mean, we're tighter and closer and care about one another more. And it, and it it worked. I mean, he built a, a an elite powerhouse of a football program, but but Jason, does it concern you that 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 the Clemson model, however successful it may have been, is facing these sea changes that that the head coach probably truly doesn't care much for? I mean, yeah, it's a little concerning. I, I like to think there's still enough players out there that that know the long money's in the NFL, and that. There's some player. There, there, there's enough players out there that that culture still means something to. We're gonna find out how true that is right quick here over the next few years. But I talk to a lot of recruits. You know, it, it, recruiting is one of the things I cover, and you know, a lot of times you can tell when a guy's kind of blowing smoke and when a guy's kind of being genuine. Because because I like to ask them how much the NIL is gonna play a role in their recruitment. And some of them will tell you it's a big deal, and, and some of the others will tell you that it's, you know, not as big a deal to them. They know they're going to get it wherever they go, and and they're in it for the long money, the NFL money. But, yeah, if if you're a Clemson fan, it's got to be a little bit concerning because Clemson's got a smaller alumni base. They're not going to be able to throw out all these big NIL deals to these kids. And it's something – Dabo Sweeney's never going to be a guy that, that I think gets into bidding wars over players to begin with. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I think I think it's going to got to be at least a little bit concerning if you're a Clemson fan. Do you like the idea of the conference not going to divisional playoff game next year? In other words, um, I would argue the best two teams at the end of the season, I'd like to get your opinion, Clemson and Florida State. I mean, if we're going to match up one and two in an ACC championship game, those two, I mean, do you like that idea or that concept? I do like that idea. I think, I think the ACC faces enough disadvantages as it is. Um, I, I love the idea of putting the best two teams in the conference championship game, whether it's a rematch or not. Um, you, you need your two best teams. You don't need a four-loss team from one side facing the unbeaten team in, from the other side in a game that's one team's a 20-point favorite. You know, how often have we seen that over the years? That's typically the way the ACC championship games played out. But, yeah, I like the idea of the two best teams and doing away with divisions. I thought it worked well in 2020. I think it'll work well in the future. Last question, and I'll let you get out of here. Jason Priester of allclemson.com with us. Uh, you talked about covering recruiting. Um, they never stop recruiting. I mean, they're, they're always recruiting. There's always somebody on the road except these dead periods. I mean, w- w- what do you think of the Clemson class that they've got committed so far? 
I think it's a strong class, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. It might be one of the best group of defensive linemen in the country, especially defensive tackles. Um, they've got a kid named Peter Woods. He's from the state of Alabama. One of the top players in the class. Um, they've got a defensive end, Tom Ryan Parker. He's probably going to be able to come in and, and play or at least have the opportunity to play right away. Clemson's losing a ton at that position. But, you know, you know me, wide receiver is one of the positions that, that, that I harp on a lot. And, and I'm, I'm not sure that there's one of those alpha guys in this class. So I think that's something Clemson really needs to take a long, hard look at in the portal and see if they can find an older, experienced guy to come into that room and help bridge the gap to, to, the, to some of these younger guys already. Well explained. Jason, how can people who love Clemson football, who love Clemson athletics, keep up with the work you do? You can find me over at allclemson.com or I'm on Twitter at JP underscore Priester. Thank you, my man. We'll, um, we'll continue to talk because we've got bowl games and recruiting and whatnot. And I like the, um, the decompression hour we do to get away from um, who's screwing who at Twitter and what Republican lied about what Democrat and what Democrat <laughs> lied about what Republican. Thank you a lot, Jason. Appreciate you, my yes, man. Sir. Always appreciate it, Ken. Thanks. Yes, sir. Good deal. Good deal. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I don't know if I'm the valedictorian of anything. <laughs> I mean, I've always relied on my gut and common sense to get me where I need to get. Um, sometimes it gets me where I don't need to be, but I've been there um, nonetheless. Decompression hour. I mean, we can talk about, I'll tell you, I, you know, I don't want to put my business on the street, so to speak. Some of it already has been. Um, but I've had a lot of problems lately. Rev and I've talked a little bit off the air about this. Um, I mean, I'm not scared of getting older, but as you get older, the people you, I mean, we've, we've had this conversation a bit, but I don't know why the holiday season, you know, and thinking about family mm. and friends and, uh, Rev believes that Springsteen did the own Broadway edition to basically kind of, um, register with his immortality, you know, to kind of look it in the eye and say, okay, uh, I'm a 70 some odd year old rock star, um, with a lot more in the rear view than in the, um, in the front windshield. How do I account for that? How do I take into consideration all of that? And for some stupid reason, this year has affected me more than normal. I don't have any idea. This is weird, Reb, but I had a good buddy of mine, um, that I went to school with. He was three years older than I died. And, and that set off on a, a kind of a, I don't know, a series of, um, of thoughts and, uh, just brainstorming and thinking about things. And then, um, the lady from Fleetwood Mac dies. And it seems like yesterday she was 30 years old. You know what I mean? And Fleetwood Mac were the iconic rock band. Um, not, not as iconic as the Eagles, but iconic in our generation. No I mean, they, they were very important in our formative years, so to speak. And, um, and I mean, just, you start thinking about, wow, okay, where did 60 years go? Where, where did 59 years go and how many are left? And I'm not, once again, I'm not afraid at all of dying. I mean, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of it. But, but there's just something kicking. And, um, and it's, you know, when you're 30, it, it doesn't. When you're 40, it doesn't. When you get 50, a little bit, bit of it starts kicking. But when you start pushing, you know, that age where the people you really looked up to, admired, and respected are dying – at a pretty regular clip. I mean, it's not every day, but it seems like once a week I'm having somebody pass away in my world. And I was thinking about Mr. Avant, you know, and, and the impact he's had and, you know, the unexpected death and, and how it affected you and I and what mm -hmm. we do and how we do it. We actually had two guys come in uh, during the break, and I'll probably get a little bit emotional when I tell this story. Um, I'm a good old boy. 
I mean, these would be good old boys, so to speak. But they came in and gave us, you know, about $1,100 in cash money that they'd been collecting um, to give to the children's, uh, this event that we sponsored. This, um, I want to make sure, giving. Season of Giving, a tribute to Mr. Avant. Make sure I name it right. I mean, we got to be particular about these about these sponsors. And, I mean, people are good. I mean, people are so kind, decent, gracious, and good. And we talk a lot about the negatives. We really and truly do because we've got a um, a political battle for the heart and soul of our country. We've got a financial um, situation that I think is dire, and I think kids will eventually live in a lesser America as a result of all that. But just when you get all um, negative and you think about getting older and these people you respect are dying, and these people you grew up with are dying, and rock stars that you thought would live forever are dying, somebody walks in the door with a couple of t-shirts and, and, you know, just, I don't want any, I don't want my attention. I don't want my name mentioned. We just, we, we listen to you guys. I want to be a contributor to this um, season of giving and they just give you a wad of money. And, um, wow. that's just, it blows my mind to believe that we, we are in this thing together. I mean, I say it a lot, but we are in this thing um, together. We're the only chance this country has you, me, and folks like us. And that includes liberals. I mean, that absolutely includes Jeff. I mean, I can't exclude Jeff from the conversation and then question his um his his integrity or loyalty or respect or love for the country. I mean, I'm not entitled to do that. But but you know, when, when you get negative and you get a little bit down, you think about getting older and these people you love die, and you know, and, and a rock star that you thought once again would live forever. And I mean, but I read that Christine McVie was 79. I said, no way, no way. She's 35, standing beside Stevie Nicks. You know, in the uh, in the in the Philadelphia spectrum. See, I'm doing free wholesome justice here. Um, where Dr. J played basketball. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, where did all this time go? And I get a little bit doomy and gloomy. And then, you know, a couple of good old boys walk in and, you know, put $1,100 in your hand and say they've been saving that money all year to give to us uh, for the season of giving. And I just got to believe somebody out there is motivated by that to contribute to this season of giving because uh, we can't wait until Christmas. We got to give these yeah, ladies we're working time to go shop. I'm mean, they're 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 frustrated with me anyway because I come up with this idea <laughs> and I mean it was my idea. I mean we reached out to Pepsi, we had lunch, and I said, look, I want to do something in the name of Mr. Avant to to help kids have a better Christmas. Will you help me? Yeah, of course we will. And then these ladies took off and did all the work. Les um, Ward at um, Pepsi of Florence has been incredibly supportive of what we've tried to do here, not just with the season of giving. But, but the grind of talk radio, I mean, they're, they're investing in a show that they believe, you know, creates a better Florence, a better PD, a better um, listening area. And these folks in Sumter and Orangeburg, I mean, you know how to invest in your communities and take ownership of your communities as well. But, um, but when, when two good old boys come in here and, and put $1,100 in your hand and say, hey, we listen, we, we knew this was coming, and here's our contribution. We don't want to go on the radio. We don't want any attention. We don't want to be a part of any advertising campaign i mean it warms your heart it really and truly warms your heart and i hope it will encourage others to give a little of their uh, blessings and their prosperity to the season of giving and i'll let rev once again um because we are asking i mean this is a call to action we are yes. asking you our listeners to help us raise um you know enough money to provide a really unexpected and blessed christmas for these six families that have been identified by the youth mentors of the PD and the Boys and Girls Club of the PD. So um, having said that, thanks to the two guys that came in and um, 
and just so graciously contributed their money. And I'm asking some others, will you please do the same? Live953.com is the website. We wanted to make it as easy as possible. Just go there to the Live953.com website. You click on the Season of Giving banner. That'll take you to the official Season of Giving page. You'll see all the information there. There's a link where you can click to see the items that the families have requested. Again, the youth mentors of the PD and Boys and Girls Clubs of the PD have provided these families and this list for us. These are the items we are shopping for. If you'd like to see what we're shopping for, you can see that. And then click on the green donate button, big green button. Click there, and your donation goes uh, right through once you uh, process it. And, of course, 100% of your donation goes right to buying these items that are on that list for these families. And it doesn't matter how much you give. I mean, some people can give 5 bucks, Some people can give 500 I mean, there are a few of you can give more than that. I mean, it doesn't matter to us. I mean, just we want people to um, participate. And it's kind of a, um, I mean, it's not a reflection on me or Rev. I mean, it is not. I mean, it's not a reflection on you. It's just a situation we find ourselves in where, you know, I, I mean, I think Rev uh, will ascribe to the same belief. I mean, I take from the community and I give the community. I mean, it's kind of a two-way street. Sure. I mean, this community and area has been incredibly good to me. No doubt. I've tried to give back in the ways I know how. I mean, I probably dropped the ball uh, more times than I care to mention. But, but I, I've tried to pull my weight in and, and doing my part to make the community a better place. And I just think about the families, you know, that, that have kind of, um, they've concluded that there won't be much of a Christmas around their home. Um, some of it is self-inflicted, no question about it. I mean, there are decisions people make that are irresponsible and just not good. And you kind of, um, you're, you're left stuck with those bad decisions. But I'm thinking about the kids. And, and most times, kids are along for the ride. You know, good parent, not so good parent. Um, responsible parent, not so responsible parent. That kid doesn't get to say, hey, I'd rather have that responsible parent than I have that irresponsible parent. I'd rather have that good parent. I'd rather have that hardworking parent than that lazy parent. Um, kids don't get to make that call. I mean, they, they live where they live in the circumstances and situations which they um, just, just kind of, you know, live in. And these families that we've identified would never in a million years imagine a Christmas could be headed their way like we can provide. So and I think I'm, that's all of us. I want to mention some of the things on the list. Obviously, there's some toys. I mean, these are kids. They do, do want and need toys to play with. But there's also a bed, shoes, clothing, book bags, you know, baby dolls, um, games, underwear, slime. What's slime? Oh. Sounds fun. Uh, Spider-Man and Batman toys. Uh, there's another underwear, um, socks. It's just, I mean, look at the list. It's yourself. humbling. It's, right there I mean, on the it's, it's unbelievably humbling um, to me. And uh, and the world's full of all kinds of people. Uh, I'm one. You're one. Rev's one. Freehold's one. Um, but I do believe inside of all of us is a giving spirit. And I get it. I mean, I understand um, the the redundancy of people asking for contributions. I'm certainly as um as aware of that as you are, and you know you want to round up to the nearest dollar to contribute to X, Y, or Z. You know, um, the Salvation Army, the United Way. I mean, there's so many worthy organizations that try to do. We just wanted to do something with our community of listeners that reflected what we try to be, and that is an asset to the community. And you know what, what, how much what Rev and I do matters to this area. I don't have any idea. I honestly have no idea. Uh, but we know a lot of you have become a part of our extended family, and um, and I'm just asking you to help us reward uh, these two organizations that do this every uh, day of every year. The Youth Mentors of the PD, you know, they don't have one campaign and then quit. Uh, the Boys and Girls Club don't have one campaign 
and then they quit. They're committed, dedicated to um to doing this, you know, event after event, day after day, family after family. The least we can do is provide for these six families so they can um have a better Christmas. But imagine you'll never know the smile on that kid's face when he walks out of that bedroom at four o'clock in the morning as Santa Claus has brought him uh, what he didn't expect to get. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine a twenty or thirty dollar gift and the smile on that child's face when they walk into that room expecting very little, but instead some of those um, items Rev listed are, uh, are just laying right there. I mean, you, you know how excited kids are at Christmas anyway. You know, um, my daughter and I, I told her she's home. She, we were going through some old pictures last night, and she found a picture of me one year old. And she, she busted out laughing and said, that looks like the Dust Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> she said, "She said you look pitiful. I mean, it looks like the Dust Bowl. I said, well, I mean, it was a different era. Yeah, I mean, they, were, it, they were just perfecting cameras. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was, I mean, that would have been 1964. I mean, yeah, I'm a year old. And, um, and she's like, when I said it's 1964, she said, that's like a million years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a trillion years ago. They used to take photos on film. There was this thing called film. You're and right. Then pictures on paper and then we got real advanced and you could take a picture and um it would it would just um dispense oh the a, a photograph yep. and you would wave it in the wind and it would develop right before sure. your very eyes i can remember I mean, that's just magic to me i mean i remember the first time i ever saw that i remember going nah no I mean, that, that's fake <laughs> you know what i mean before trump said fake news i was like that's a fake picture there's no way that thing's going to happen and uh my granddad would always say he was real old-fashioned. My granddad would say, we, we're starting to do too many things. I mean, we're doing too many things. We don't need to do that many that many things. Hey, we, we told this story, and then I'll take a break. I don't know why my mind goes here on Friday afternoons or Friday mornings. It's kind of Friday afternoon to Rev and I because we're at the end of the um, the 20 hours of live radio we do. But um, my daughter loves it when I tell this story. My brother and I were 17 months apart. Uh, my two boys are 17 months apart. God works in mysterious ways. Uh, if you don't think God will get you back, he will. Rest assured. So my brother and I are 17 months apart. I'm the oldest. My two boys are 17 months apart. And it was kind of a ritual for us to watch um, The Wizard of Oz. And, I mean, it, this is before HDTV, this before cable. And uh, and it would come on like the uh, whatever, Sunday night at 7 o'clock. And, I mean, it was a big deal. Remember the Pop Rock popcorn, you know, that uh, pops itself oh, and it kind of Jiffy expands. Pop. Yeah, Jiffy Pop. It expands the um, the tinfoil. Sure. Oh, my. I mean, that's like, you know, you get your – I mean, back then it wasn't Dot Pepsi. It would have been Pepsi back in the day. So I got my Pepsi. My brother's got his Pepsi. We got this Jiffy Pop popcorn. And we are, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, we're, it would be the equivalent of living in the south of France <laughs> on a million dollar yacht. I mean, my brother and I are on the floor in our, I don't think this would be a misspot politically incorrect now, sitting in the old, what we call the Indian position, you know, on the floor. My mom and dad are sitting in the furniture. Because that's just the way we rolled back in the yeah. in the early and mid '60s. So um, the Wizard of Oz comes on, and remember the flying monkeys. <laughs> I do. The fly Scary. the scene of the flying monkeys would come on, and every year, for as long as I can remember, I would look at my mom and I would say, "Mama, they're fake, ain't they?" <laughs> <laughs> and before I got "ain't they" out of my mouth, my brother would be looking at my mom for confirmation. Oh. You know what I mean? Because he was the little brother, and the big brother asked the question. So the big brother says, "Mama, those monkeys are fake, ain't they?" And my brother, I mean, I, I can see his face. It's like instantaneously he would look like, "Ain't they, Mama? Tell us they are, Mama." You know what I mean? I mean, please tell us they are, Mama. <laughs> We sat there just, I mean, just scared to death of, are those, are they, is there such a thing as flying monkeys somewhere in the world? 
that I'll have to encounter. There's a lot of, and my daughter actually said, man, I wish I'd lived then. I mean, I do, I wish I would have, because I just think there's a, um, a sincere appreciation you have for those things that we take for granted today. So, so in closing season of giving, I'll let Rev tell you how you can be a, um, a partner in helping these six families. Live 953.com. Click on the season of giving banner right there at the front center top page. And that'll take you to the page where you can click on donate and uh, take it from there. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. We're going to try to get some trivia here in just a few moments. Before we do that, anything else you want to add? Freehold, you got anything on your mind you want to um, <laughs> decompress about over the next four or five minutes? No. Any weird guitar lit you want to play just one <laughs> after the other? No. Okay. Who's the most innovative guitarist ever? Is it Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix? Or Chet uh, Atkins? Ooh, Chet Atkins. Ooh. I would probably go Hendrix. Over Atkins and okay, where does <laughs> well, where, where does Eddie Van Halen land there? Oh, top five for sure. And um, innovative. He, he, he's the most unique guitarist. I'll say that. Explain that. Um, when you hear Eddie Van Halen, you know it's nobody else on the planet except for Eddie Van Halen. Is Eddie Van Halen a rock and roll guitarist or a heavy metal guitarist? Uh, hard rock. Okay. I, I want to know who Freehold thinks is the most overrated guitarist. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, he likes to be critical of guitarists. He does. So I want to hear. Keith Richards, I guess. Interesting. Wow. But, but he's, Interesting. But, but he's underrated he's, as a songwriter. He's a songwriting guitarist. He so is. It, you know what? So I don't know if I can say he's overrated as a guitarist because that's not really what he does. Like he's a right, but he also he, has produced yeah. uh, many iconic yeah. guitar riffs that all of us know. You have to give him credit for that. Yeah. So as far as guys who are known for being guitarists. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but you would agree, so Richards is an overrated guitarist, but an underrated songwriter. Yeah, well, I mean, so are we considering him a great guitarist or a great musician? He's a phenomenal musician, but like but as far be, as a lead guitarist. But if you're a musician playing a guitar, aren't you a guitarist? <sighs> right. Yeah, but are we talking about like guys who are I mean, great? I don't know that I've seen him playing the cello <laughs> with, with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Well, when I'm ta- when I say great musician, I'm talking about you know he's able to write songs and he sings a, a couple songs and you know that's what I meant. Okay, let's do this. What makes a great guitarist? Melodic, first of all. Okay. Um, uh, being, Is it an acquired skill or some people just blessed with talent? No, like some people can no, run fast. You, I, I get that, but I yeah. mean, can some people work real hard and still not be very good? You're looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. You wanted to be a good guitarist, but it was just too hard. No, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking um, a page out of your humble. I mean, <laughs> I'm not fantastic. Like, I'm not going to do. But you're stuff not bad. No, yeah, I've been playing since I was like 11 or 12. So. so, can you listen to somebody play the guitar and and know better than I? I mean, obviously, you know, you know, would know better than I that they're really, really good at it. Yeah. I mean, how long? How long would it take you to listen to someone play the guitar for you to decide, hey, this guy's really, really good? A couple seconds. Okay. Some of the studio musicians that we don't know the names of. How do they stack up with a Chet Atkins or an Eddie Van Halen or somebody? I mean, a guy that's played in the studio for 20 years and is exceptionally talented. What does he just, he doesn't have the stage presence. He doesn't have the desire. I mean, what is it about him that kept him in the studio for 20 years? Freehold. Technicality. Technical. So there's a difference between being able to be really uh, cathartic and creative. And then there are guys who are like the the session musicians that are in a studio. Those are the guys who are very technical. And I think that's a difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting. Not mm-hmm. not not the performer. 
Not the no. guitarist slash performer. You're talking about the session guys, right? Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Te- but, technical. But they're really good guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Those are the guys who can play anything note for note, but can't write a song. Gotcha. Those are those guys. That's interesting. I mean, that, that stands to reason. Yeah. It would be like a lawyer who can't try a case. Yeah. I mean, he knows every technicality of the law, but but he can't perform in a courtroom. He can't convince a jury that my guy's innocent or or trying to prove um, someone else is, um, is guilty. Hey, before we go to trivia, I want to mention again, tomorrow morning is our Christmas Saves event all across the community broadcasters, radio stations, starting at 10, from 10 to 3 tomorrow. We're going to be on the air across all of our frequencies and channels, I guess, all over Florence, Sumter, and the Orangeburg area. And we'll be spotlighting items that are provided by local businesses across our area that we've partnered on this event. And you'll have a chance to call in and make those purchases during the event and save some money while you're doing it. Good deal. It's time for our Pepsi of Florence Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. You ready? We've talked a lot about Pepsi of Florence this morning, how they're helping us with the season of giving. They're also a sponsor of our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. First correct answer. Wins a six-pack of Pepsi product, couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. Other than Christine McVie and Stevie Nicks, name a member of the band Fleetwood Mac. I mean, they could be current or former. Name a member of the band Fleetwood Mac not named Christine McVie or Stevie Nicks. 843-661-0937, our number. Do we have a call? We do. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Yeah, Mick Fleetwood. Mick Fleetwood is right. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Bill from Sumter. Okay, hang on, my man. We'll get you back to Freehold. He'll get all of your, um, he'll get your Les Paul or whatever, Gibson <laughs> offender opinion on guitars, and then he'll get your information. And we'll get, I think Peter Green, if I'm not mistaken, Peter Green was the guitarist that founded Fleetwood Mac, and he named it after Mick Fleetwood. And then along comes Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and Christine McVie. I mean, I don't know who the original members were. But I think the band was formed by a guy named Peter Green, who named the band after Mick Fleetwood. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that to be true, but I think I'm right. And by about the way, that. I think Lindsey Buckingham is a great guitarist. No, no question about it. An accomplished guitarist that did exactly what Stevie told him to do: <laughs> play that guitar and shut up. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll be I'll be with you, and I want to be with you, and I'll be with somebody else when I want to be with somebody else. We got to end with this. I mean, if, if there is a if there is a woman who could easily call a badass. Is it not Stevie Nicks? Am I right, Rev? I mean, you're nodding yeah. your head. Oh, you won't yeah. say it because you're scared of your wife. I mean, I, you know, you've not been as married as long as I have. I mean, I'm willing to say it. She is, um, I, I stand that we're talking about Keith Richards a second ago. There should be only two members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Stevie Nicks and Keith Richards. Everybody else is bogus. Nobody else deserves uh, to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thanks for listening. And um, and we'll get back to Freehold. He'll get all your information. Uh, thanks to Pepsi and Florence for uh, putting up with this nonsense as they continually do. Thanks to you, our listeners, for another um, non-award-winning week of Wake Up Carolina. Ever closer uh, to Clemson. We've done a lot of things today. We've um, yeah. we, we've kind of got back in uh, decent st- – we're in counseling with Springsteen. We've not made our mind up uh, together. Rev has veto power on that, so i got to really <laughs> lean on him hard and heavy if I do want to get something I'm done there. Hey, enjoy your weekend. I would say go Gamecocks, go Tigers, but neither are playing this weekend in football. We'll talk Monday.